What's happening, weirdos? You get a lot of variety with our show, and I'm proud of that. Last week, we had the incredible Father James Martin. I loved seeing the feedback and that you guys enjoyed that chat as much as I did. And this week, we have Rob Zombie. Rob Zombie, that's a variety. And you know what? For I didn't know Rob uh, going into this, and now I feel like I do know him. This was an incredible chat, and I kind of went in not knowing what to expect, and I was blown away with what a thoughtful, creative, funny, fascinating guy that he is. I, I basically just knew his music and his movies, uh, and I was ready for like a real hardcore dive into the into the darkness, and talking about death or zombies or whatever. It wasn't like that at all. This is just a great, wonderful, fun, You Made It Weird episode, and I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. If you guys like this show and you want to show your support, it always means so much if you want to try one of the Pete's Picks. And I'm happy to say that one of our Pete's Picks has returned from uh, quite a few years of hiatus. It's Harry's. Harry's, the wonderful shave club that sends you the best razor that I've used ever. I was with one of the big guys paying way too much. You know the ones. Rhymes with Spilette. They keep them behind lock and key because they're worth their weight in gold. I'm just riffing. I'm just talking about shave products. I can honestly say I, I got my Harry's back. I got the blades. I got the razor. They're not only as good as the big guys, but I would say even better. The way that it contours to my face, and you can just feel how sharp and effective the blades are. Usually spots on my face, on my neck, that I have to go over three, four, five times. I can just shave it once and be done with it. I was blown away by the quality and the sharpness of the blade. And the best part is, there's always more blades coming. And even better than that, you don't have to choose between quality and price. They're cheap and their quality. You can go super, super cheap, but you're not going to get quality. This is that wonderful, perfect, direct-to-you, factory, direct-price quality that you want. This is the sweet spot. This is Harry's. And for a limited time, Harry's is offering their starter set plus a free body wash for three bucks to weirdos. You just got to go to harrys.com slash weird. They deliver a close Comfortable shave at a fair price, only $2 per refill. No more going to the the jewelry section of the CVS and hunting down an employee to unlock it with their their neck-dangling precious key. These come direct to you, two bucks a refill. They believe in quality so much, Harry's bought their own factory in Germany. They told me the whole story over the phone. They, they found this incredible company in Germany that had been making blades for generations, and they were so pleased with them. They bought the factory. It's, they make them for Harry's now so they could own every step of the manufacturing process. How do they do it? Harry's team combined a simple air, agrono, agrono, agronomic. Er, ergonomic (laughs) ergonomic ergonomic you know what I'm saying ergonomic designed with five sharp blades they source their steel from Sweden and manufacture their blades in their world class factory 
Harry's German factory is one of the few select manufacturers in the world that have mastered the technology to create what's known as the Gothic Arch, the gold standard of razor blade grinding. That's where you look at it under a microscope, and it's thick at the bottom and very, very thin and sharp at the tip. There's a 100% quality guarantee. They stand behind the quality of their blades so much. They have a money-back guarantee on harrys.com, and for a limited time, Harry's has an exclusive offer for listeners that you can partake in and show your support of the show. New customers get a Harry starter set and the body wash free for just three bucks at harrys.com slash weird. That's over $16 in value for just three bucks and show your support of this show. You get a five blade razor weighted handle, which I love, and it contours perfectly. It bends bendy at the, you know what I mean? It moves around. Maybe that's what ergonomic means. I'm going to Google it. Uh, a foaming shave gel, a travel cover, and a travel size body wash. It's an incredibly great deal, but act fast while supplies last. Go to harrys.com slash weird to redeem your offer. I'm so happy that Harry's is back in the Pete's Picks. We have another new one, which is incredible. For 2021, after so much hibernating, I've been trying to hike more. I've been using my sauna every single day. And of course, a big part of both of those things is staying hydrated. And I've just started doing that with the help of my new favorite hydration product, Liquid IV. It is what it sounds like. It's incredible. It's sort of like a, well, it's like a little packet. You pour it in water and it amplifies the power of the water. In 16 ounces, you get two to three times the amount of hydration as plain water. So after I get out of the sauna, I chug one of these. It makes me feel fantastic. I can just feel it rushing into my body. I got Val on it. Val loves to dance. She's got a trampoline that she exercises on. She's more She's more active. I'm just sweating in a sauna. But we both need it. It's great after workouts. They have tons of testimonials uh, talking about how great it is after hang- for hangovers. And it's even great when I'm just sitting down to work and I want my body and my mind running smoothly and clearly. Hydration has always been one of the best kept secrets to overall wellness and a clear, sharp mind for me personally. Uh, One serving of liquid IV contains the same hydration as two to three bottles of water alone. It contains five essential vitamins, more vitamin C than an orange, and just as much potassium as a banana. It's healthier than sugary sports drinks. There's no artificial flavors or preservatives and less sugar than an apple. It's made with clean ingredients, non-GMO, it's vegan, and free of gluten, dairy, and soy. They have awesome flavors. It tastes really, really good. I'm so happy that it's low in sugar like an apple, but it tastes like soda, basically, in the good way. It has as much flavor. It's not like a LaCroix flavor. It's like a real flavor flavor. Watermelon, lemon lime. Me and Val's favorite is passion fruit. They just launched strawberry, and it's hard to imagine, but they taste like ripe fruit, but it also kind of has like a, a whipped cream after note. A decadent note, if you will, in the strawberry, which is amazing. What makes it so effective is cellular transport technology, CTT. It's the optimal ratio of glucose, sodium, and potassium that delivers water and nutrients directly into the bloodstream. It's the perfect balance to help you hydrate more quickly and effectively than water alone, and it makes me feel great. One stick of liquid IV and 16 ounces of water can give as much hydration as two to three bottles of plain water. I said that twice. It was in here twice. 
I have my notes. I wrote it out twice. Liquid IV is also a wonderful give back company. They're on a mission to change the world. The company has donated 4 million servings in response to COVID-19 and products are being donated to hospitals, first responders, food banks, veterans, and active military. With every purchase you make, they donate a serving to someone in need around the world. Disaster zones, hospitals, impoverished communities. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 10 million servings globally. So grab your strawberry Liquid IV or your passion fruit Liquid IV if you're nasty or other great flavors in bulk nationwide at Costco or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code WEIRD at checkout. Get some hydration going, get a delicious Bev going, and show your support of this podcast. That's 25% off anything when you order using promo code WEIRD at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com, and be sure to use promo code WEIRD to show the support. Show that support of the show. Last but not least, you know what these babies are. These are my alpha brain. I haven't recorded an episode of this podcast for the past six years without taking two or three alpha brain uh, before. It is such, 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 I mean this so earnestly, it's such a game changer for me. I was writing a script today. I was flowing on that alpha brain. It makes such a difference. It's not like caffeine. It's not a stimulant. It's just earth-grown ingredients that help your brain with memory, help your brain with focus. Uh, it helps me with my creativity. I'll say that anecdotally. Uh, it doesn't say that on the bottle. It doesn't say creativity, but it definitely helps me access any area of my brain that I'm trying to get to. It is a wonderful, wonderful secret weapon. Uh, I actually recently pitched a movie uh, to a network, and the guy was a fan of the podcast, and he asked me if I had taken my alpha brain before the pitch, and I said, uh, do you have a bippy, sir? Go ahead and bet it. I wish I had Alpha Brain in college. I'm so glad I have it now. I used to give it out in the writer's room at Crashing. I've got a few of them on it, uh, for sure, on it. <laughs> and if you'd like to try it, see if it helps you out. I sure hope it does. Go to onnit, O-N-N-I-T dot com slash weird. You'll get 10% off every everything that you see on that landing page, including Alpha Brain, the new atropic. So go to onnit, O-N-N-I-T dot com slash weird for 10% off and show your support of this show. All right, guys. Shave with some Harry's. Take some Alpha Brain. Wash it down with Liquid IV. And uh, I would really appreciate it. And I appreciate you tuning in. I really hope you enjoy the wonderful, the incomparable Rob Zombie. Get into it. Hi. I think I have my video off. Hey, how's it going? Hey Rob, what's going on, man? <laughs> oh man, look at your office. Oh yeah, there's a lot of crap in here. I'm so happy to meet you, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. Hey man, thanks for having me. Before we jump into it, I loved crashing. No it's shit. Great. Yeah, I just watched the whole thing again since we're going to talk just to be up to speed on stuff. Oh, that's so cool. I would have loved to have you direct one. That would have been so that's fun. Awesome. I always want to do comedy. I'm always doing non-comedy, obviously, but. But I got to say, the funniest thing that I, I was like working out watching, I burst out laughing was when you're in the prayer circle. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the funniest fucking thing ever. The ventriloquist. Yeah, well, his eyes just look at you, the dummy. That It's so funny. Val and I, we were talking about 
Um, it's not a big deal, but I, we're always talking about how my character wasn't really that funny, which is which was sort of on purpose. He's supposed to be starting out and all that. And she was like, "The funniest part of the show is the ventriloquist dummy," and it's it's. And she reminded me, like, I don't know if you're like that with some of your work, but sometimes I need someone to remind me, like, oh yeah, oh, yeah. just just because George, that's the guy who played Leaf, was so hilarious. Like there were moments, there were good moments. So I'm so touched. You picked the same moment as my wife. Yeah, that one just jumped out because, like, you're like, okay, you, you're thinking subliminally, like, okay, ventriloquist dummy, that's always funny, but how is this going to be funny? <laughs> Held hands like okay, and then when his eyes just look at you, I just—it's great. You know what's funny about that dude is I remember somebody told me, remember the Happy Time Murders? It's the the Muppets, oh, yeah, but they yeah. murder each other. They, there was there's always a problem, which is those things can be funnier on set. And I wonder—I wasn't planning on asking you about this, but like you deal in like extremes with models and and yeah, and yeah. gore. I wonder, how does that translate? Is it more extreme? I have to think it would be more extreme in the theater. And on set, it might actually be kind of, I don't know. Well, on set, everything seems incredibly lame. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's like, you know, it's like anything else. I mean, I guess a joke is more spontaneous. Sure. Because someone might say something you weren't expecting. But like any special effect is so tedious. Yeah. That it's just like, you know... You know, there's a tube running down the person's back, and it got clogged <laughs> up eight, eight previous takes. And the effects guy is like sweating bullets because he's like, fuck, 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 the whole crew. So, yeah, it, it just seems. I think I, I think I, after doing the effects stuff, I is my least favorite part. Yeah. Of every movie I make. And I think I always end it with good enough, moving on. Yeah. Because it's just like, I'm over it, you know? I'm sure, it's funny because that's what gets written about is, you know, the level of gore or whatever. But it has to be like a car scene. It's like, just get the car scene done. I hate working with cars. I hate working with moving parts. It's like, I mean, I respect the stunt people. I mean, it's pretty incredible what they do, but I never have the patience for it. Yeah, yeah. I'm such a stunt guy buzzkill because it'll start off like, you know, like I just want somebody to stab somebody, say. Yeah. Then, okay, we're going to train the actor. He's going to throw the knife back and forth and switch grips. And then I go, Yeah. Everybody's Jason Bourne. And I'm like, <laughs> he stabs the guy real, and like nothing happens except the guy's shocked. Or and eventually, I'm like, how do we just, why don't we just have the actors do it? Yeah. Some guys are always so, not all of them, but a lot of they get real stunty. Yeah. And, uh, it's interesting. And that, I, it's funny. I, I was just, I'm sorry. You were going to say, I don't want to interrupt. They want to take it big to show off because a simple effect of like tripping over something doesn't look good on their reel. Right. If you can do a million things. Yes. Well, please give me a chance to show this. I, I was just thinking about this last night and not in any context of this conversation that I was like, we were watching a movie and there was a fight and I was like, this is not new ground to say that fighting is like a dance. You know, it's like a choreographed dance. I was, I was like, two people fighting is the most interesting thing in the world. <laughs> like, I'm not saying I like it, but I'm yeah. saying like, you can't make it not interesting. It, it's that old thing about boxing. You got a baseball game here, football game here. <laughs> two guys start fist fighting. Everybody just watches that. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I'm these days I'm bored with fight scenes because everybody's too good. That's it, dude. I can't remember the last movie I saw. I'm like, Jesus Christ, is everybody fucking Bruce Lee? 
Yeah, like, yeah. It, like when in reality, I always say in reality, this is a fight. One guy's like, come on. And the other guy hits him over the head with a garbage can and leaves him in the gutter bleeding to death. Yeah. That's usually a fight. Right. You know, it's not like two guys like with moves. It's like one guy kicks another guy in the balls with the other guy not ready for it. I was just watching. And look, of course, we can forgive these movies because uh, – <laughs> Meaning, like, it was Captain America. Val Val had never seen the first Captain America. I had never watched it all the way through. I don't know if you watched the first one. It's like three hours long. I always would lose uh, interest. No, no disrespect to the franchise. But I would always lose interest halfway. So we watched the whole thing. And at one point, he fights Red Skull. And Red Skull knows karate. And I'm just like, what is going on here? And they know that weird extreme. Well, the best is now watching Liam Neeson. Do his karate. Yes. Because I could buy it and take it, but like whatever, like 15 years like, Jesus Christ. I mean, yes. It's getting weird. Yeah, I know every, I mean, I, every movie is too long for me. That's hilarious. I, I don't know why superhero movies or Pirates of Caribbean, I don't need the best three hours. It's funny, we were watching Wonder Woman, and, um, you know, when you watch it at home, it's like, you know, your wife's always like, can you pause it? I want to get a snack. Yeah. So I paused it. She got a snack. And then, like, the cat's hungry, so you feed the cat. And next thing you know, I'm waiting. I'm like, are we going to finish the movie? She's like, we didn't finish it? She's like, there's more movie? I go, yeah, there's like another half an hour left. We've only gotten through two and a half hours of Wonder Woman so far. I think you're speaking. A whole season for Linda Carter, practically. You're speaking to a modern phenomenon in relationships, too. When you pause a movie... And you see that you're only halfway through and you're like, Jesus Christ, I thought we were, we have another hour invested. It's not good for the movie. It's like. Sometimes we don't do it. We just like enough. Yeah. No, we bail. It's like uh, when you read a book on Kindle, uh, I used to have a Kindle. You have no idea how long it is. But when you buy Infinite Jest, you're holding 3,000 pages and you're like, I can't do it. So I'm always looking at the bookmark going like, I can't. (laughs) Yeah, but on Kindle, I'm like, it doesn't even have a percentage. I don't know what's happening. I I I gave up on my Kindle. I'm too I'm too proud. I want everybody to see the books that I read. I want them like trophies up in my house. I think Jim Gaffigan said that they're like trophies. Um, you you know, I I wanted to. I'm sure. I'm not sure. I'm going to assume that you love it. Have you seen American Movie? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was just talking about that just yesterday for some reason. No shit. Why was it? Oh, this is really stupid. But we were watching Dateline NBC, and there was this guy on the show who had been accused of murdering his girlfriend, but he didn't do it. And he was just like the sidekick in American movie. I just want somebody to drink vodka with. That guy? guy? Practice Metallica blindfolded guy. Yes. Just like that guy. I was just so happy because I had somebody to drink vodka with. Yeah. That guy melts my heart every time I watch it. I was like, talk about a sidekick. Yeah. So good. Some of those people, sometimes you see a guy like that and you're like, this guy is so genuine. He's the most genuine. I don't think there's any filter. You know, I, I was going to talk to you about that, like the expectation. Uh, we can get to it, but let's stay on American movie. Because, you know, you're Rob Zombie and, and people probably always just come at you with like, are UFOs real and all this stuff? And I was like, that's got to be a burden. In the same way, less so, people expect me to be funny or expect well, you me to... You say something like, that wasn't that funny. Exactly. I came in at the airport. What do you want from me? <laughs> exactly. We can get to expectation. I won't forget. 
But in American movie, the scenes, first of all, the director, I forget his name. Um, that's a Mark, shame. Mark. Uh, Mark. Oh, it's something like. Uh, it's it's like almost Beauregard like. Guard or Beauregard or something like that. It is. It's like a name you'd hear on uh, Lake Wobegon. But the scenes where they're doing, because he's doing a horror movie. He's doing like a slasher movie. Coven. Coven. Because he won't call it Coven because it sounds like oven, remember? And when when COVID-19 hit, I was like, COVID-19? I was like, we're living in a, a Mark. <clears throat> Katie, look it up. You got it, please. What's his name? But the scenes where they're banging the guy's head through the... Oh yeah, through the cabinet, and of course they don't score it right, and it's fifty, and it's very funny. Mark Borshot film it at that point. What's that? Isn't his mom filming it at that point? I believe trying to bash his own head through the thing. Dude, the the moms and dads in that movie. I think it's why I've seen that movie literally fifteen times because he has. He's definitely like, like I I think you are probably too. I, I looked it up. Some people think you're an Enneagram 7, which a lot of directors are 7s, which are enthusiasts. It's just a personality oh, okay. test. Oh, okay. It just means, like, you get really excited about certain things and he and, and focused. And yeah. he has that. And then his brother, when he's like, I don't know, I always thought Mark might end up working in a factory. And I'm like, you know they're filming this, right? They're making a movie about him. Yeah. And now you're the weird kind of villain. And the way that his parents... And alcohol is so in the way for him. Like you're screaming at the screen. Like it's not, you're not cool. You're not Jack Nicholson. This is, this is not helping you. Uh, he's a young man, but um, what is that? What, what does that make you think of? The, the, I, I can't help but draw a parallel, like wanting to do something that a lot of people don't understand, which is horror movies, uh, metal. I mean, what, what does that make you think of? Well, I mean, what do you mean? <laughs> doing things that nobody... <laughs> I, no, that, that's funny. You should have finished that thought. That would have been funny. Oh, things nobody cares about, Pete? Is that what you mean? Shit <laughs> nobody cares about? I, I mean things that people... Right, Pete, who cares about horror movies or metal? That is the problem. <laughs> what was it like when you were a young man getting into metal? What did your... What did your family think? Did you experience that? Like, I thought Rob would work in a factory. Did you have any of that? Oh, yeah. I think that um, I remember this kind of happening maybe. Uh, well, we all have that. Like, I, I was not like, I'm going to go do something. I didn't think, oh, I'm going to be a performer. I was just like some dopey kid. I was really shy. Even in my own head, I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do for a living? I don't want to. <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to stay in where I lived and work in a factory because I had tried that. My dad was my boss and he was like the meanest boss I ever had. <laughs> really? Because well, I think he thought, oh, I got to ride him. So Can I, I'm going easy on him. And he was such a jerk to me. So, I want to interject. My dad wasn't a jerk, but you're from Haverhill. I'm yeah. from, I grew up in Lexington. And there, and there was sort of like, this is so corny, but I remember my dad, I played with action figures. I still kind of feel like I play with action figures for a living because that's what writing a script is. But, like, I played with it until I was 18, and my dad gave my, my toys away. That's okay. I've forgiven him. But I remember being, like, it had that Boston flavor of, like, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do with this kid. He's over there playing G.I. Joe's on his bed, and I'm 18. I'm supposed to be doing who knows. I don't know. But your dad rode you in a similar way? 
Well, yeah, because I would be working with this other kid who was like this fucking jerk off that wouldn't do anything. So I'm like carrying the load. I mean, I will say now this when I had when I had regular jobs, I'm very competitive. So even if it was a shit job, I wanted to be the best, which is kind of <laughs> sick. But I, you know, like I had this job one summer where you had to run documents through a microfilm machine at a bank. <laughs> Looking at all these, whatever, and they're like, <laughs> I know, I know it's wrong at the same. They had a number on the wall. This is the most documents. Like, Kenny did it, five hundred and one day. I'm like, fuck Kenny. So I'm like, yeah. figuring out how to do it as fast as possible. And eventually, I beat it. Then I'm like, I think then I think I just quit because I'm like, now I'm not gonna like haul ass for this douche. I just wanted to show that I could beat the record. <laughs> big deal one day i have to put the most documents through a microfilm machine but i completely relate to that i i don't know maybe maybe you're i don't know if we're the same but i worked at bennigan's <laughs> my name tag said moose this is in- when they order eight waters <laughs> oh can thank you have you been a server no i no i've never worked with the public because i <laughs> I, never, I was never visually employable for the public either. That's so funny. I The metal kids in my school, I'm thinking of my friend David. I was always, this sounds pandering, but I swear, I was always drawn to those guys. I wanted to hang out with those guys. I want, And I wish they had been working at Bennigan's with me is all I'm saying. <laughs> I wasn't even one of those guys in high school. I was just off. Yeah. I, I didn't fit in with anybody. Like I'm, I'm one of those people and maybe feel this way if you went back and like everybody might act like they remember you, but you know, no one actually knows who you were. Not Fuck one person would remember you. Fucking yeah. A dude. It, it's, it's a uh, revisionist history. It's like, Oh yeah. Rob was the weirdest. We were at a party and he put the Doritos down his pants and he bashed him up. Fucking wicked dude. <laughs> well, you don't have a Boston accent and I don't think I do, but my family does like my I- mom feel like, I just can't laugh. I laugh every time she talks. <laughs> my both my parents do, and I didn't realize they did until I was like thirty five. Yeah. Like mom, <laughs> it's a potato. It's not a potato. <laughs> it's a horse. It's not a horse. I'm not just saying this because it is cool to have a Boston accent. I do hear it. After I said "Hey, roll," I feel like it started coming out because it comes out in the shape of your jaw. Like <laughs> so, you started. It's not the accent. <laughs> But if you and I talk long enough, I'm doing it right now. You start it. A little Bill Burr starts bleeding into your attitude and your inflection. And it's so fun. It's like a really liberating. It's it's like a persona. Yeah, I guess Ben Affleck and Matt Damon made it kind of cool for people or something. But they absolutely did. I had a bit about that, too. No way. (laughs) No, it it was like embarrassing. It was really embarrassing before that. So we were Bill talking. Burr, I can hear Bill Burr saying Donnie Wahlberg in my head. <laughs> you can hear him how he would say it. Yeah, but you know that's a good point. Like Donnie Wahlberg, Donnie was in the New Kids, right? He didn't have a, a Boston accent, and I'm sure if he did, they you know Cloroxed it away. Nobody wanted. Uh, he was probably like most English guys who don't sing with an English accent. That's fair, it's except the ones that with a Boston accent. Except the people that don't actually have British accents. <laughs> yeah, really He's like, what's up, fucking Revere? <laughs> Party tonight. We, I can't believe you said fucking Revere. <laughs> because in high school, we had a joke that you couldn't say Revere. You had to say fucking Revere. You had to. 
<laughs> yeah, even if you were talking to a nun, you'd be like, and then you got to drive through fucking Revere. Like, it's, like yeah. it's not Revere. It's not Revere. It's fucking yeah. Revere. Yeah. That's, that's weird. So funny. Yeah. I guess it just goes that way because I remember it always come, like a new kid would come to school. And you'd be like, how does he know all the same jokes that we know? Don't <laughs> get to his school, too. You realize that. Yeah. <laughs> Our parents were part of an ecosystem that were all doing impress. Like as a comedian, I would come home after college and notice that all the kids that I thought were so funny, oh, he's doing Jim Carrey, he's doing uh, Seinfeld. You know, like they're doing. They all have their influences. Yeah. So a flock of parents all had similar influences. They had kids in different parts of the tri-state area, and we all thought we were original, but really we're just doing. <laughs> yeah, doing the same fucking. <laughs> So I'm interested in this, not not perfectionism, but that drive, because one of the things that I thought was interesting uh, in my research of you is that, like, you were like, I didn't get where I got by being, like, wasted all the time. And that, talk about an image that people probably project on you. And, oh, yeah. and and my friend in high school, we weren't going and getting fucked up. We were, I'm talking about my friend who loved metal. We were boring ass farting in a Pringles can nerds eating blue cheese salads at an Italian restaurant. Like we were not getting fucked up, but I think it's interesting. I'm trying to tie that drive to someone that says I didn't get where I got by being fucked up all the time. It sounds like you had a drive. Like you were like, I'm not going to end up in the gutter or whatever. Yeah, for I lack feel of a, a lot of word. my drive comes from anger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Feel like you know, being fairly a miserable kid and have feeling miserable through school. I hated school and I hated everything. And the second I got out, get out of there. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just. I mean, I wasn't that driven. Like some kids, like they have straight A's. They work really hard. I was super lazy because all I want, all I wanted to do is watch TV. So I'd stay up all night. I'd go to school. I'd immediately fall asleep in school. <laughs> you know, like, I was tired from staying up all night watching TV. <laughs> Did you have a TV in your room? Your parents weren't marshalling the TV. No, but they let me put one in for the premiere of Battlestar Galactica. No shit, that's amazing. That's kind. That's nice. <laughs> a little shitty TV that it wouldn't come in good. But anyway, but Battlestar sucked, so I didn't care. <laughs> I, I tried to like that show. But it was awful. And I tried rewatching it again a couple of years ago. <clears throat> like, still sucks. Yeah. Still but bad. so you, you were, you know, in the in the new record, too, I noticed, like, mind control comes up. And that's that's a great metal theme. I don't mean to get sound like <laughs> Frasier Crane. That's a good theme in metal. Uh, okay, mind control. Game, Dio. <laughs> but... There is something – I was into punk rock when I was in high school. That was my scene. And it was the same sort of thing. It was like, you know, it's it's the wall. It's Pink Floyd. It's I, I, I don't want to be told what to do and what to think and what to be. But, like, you didn't take that as, like – tell me about the anger. The anger could have been, like, so I'm going to go out and drink a 48-pack of Natty Ice. But you didn't. You Were you like, I got to get out of Haverhill? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I hated Haverhill. I hated being there. It was just a very, very well, it's weird because you, you learn these things in hindsight because when you're in it, you just know there's nothing there and you don't relate to anybody. And it's really weird when you're a kid to not relate to anybody because you don't understand it. Yeah. You just think, that guy's fucking retarded. <laughs> like, you don't, you don't, you're not smart enough to analyze it. 
And then I moved to New York and in a second, everything in my life changed. Yeah. I instantly met the other me from another state. Yes. And you all get bond and you go to CBGBs and you stay out all night and you get crazy and do whatever. And you suddenly, Oh, this is actually the world. Not yeah. the town that where fun died. What? What? <laughs> My dad used to say of my Lithuanian Boston relatives, if they smiled, their face would shatter. I thought that was such a great line. I was um, talking to my mom last night, and you'll maybe maybe you can relate to this. And I'm just like, I whenever I ask my mom a question, I think she thinks if you're being asked a question, the answer has to be negative. That's hilarious. Because my brother was baking a birthday cake for his girlfriend, for his uh, baby mama. And I, but I wasn't there because they're all in California. I'm on the East Coast right now. And I, I, my wife, she yells, I ask your mom how the cake was. And I go, mom, how's the cake? She's like, oh, the cake. Um, I don't know. It's from a box. <laughs> you know, like a Betty Crocker thing. I go, but how was it? She was like, oh, I've made that cake before. <laughs> she, couldn't, she couldn't just go fine because it wasn't like a deep question. I was just expecting, you know. I And she had to like first rip my brother apart and still never – at first, she goes, I didn't have any cake. Well, I mean, I had some cake, but. I, <laughs> I am always, because I know there's a much sweeter, more positive. I've, I've seen it. I, it's the majority of my mom now. But over <laughs> the years, I would see that impulse. I remember we, we saw some metal kind of art. It was like flowers that somebody had cut out of metal. And I was like, that's beautiful. Somebody made some art. And my mom goes, art. <laughs> She's like, that's a craft. That's a craft. And I'm like, I think a lot of people, look, I'm from Boston, so I'll say a lot of people from Boston, but it's like just from my past that I grew up with, define themselves in the easiest way possible, which was by taking a stance of the negative, which was that cake's not going to have a leg up on me. Like, I'll, <laughs> I'll put the cake down before the cake can tell me it was from the store. I knew it was from the store. And that yeah, fucking exactly. cake sucks, you know, because it's too vulnerable to be like, it was delicious. Like, how fun would it be if you and I just talked to my, my friend Joe DeRosa has a show called Taste Buds. It's a podcast. It's hilarious. And they just talk about how great things like a Betty Crocker cake can be yeah that's that's real vulnerability that's real joy is just being like yeah it was an oreo when's the last time you had an oreo it's fantastic yeah i mean it's like and and that negativity gets so ingrained i'm not angry anymore and i try to be very positive about every everything even if i'm in my mind going i fucking hate this so much yeah my eyes out i'll be like oh it was good (laughs) i just can't go there anymore i can't be negative guy that's interesting. I, I know exactly what you mean. One of my one of my questions for you. So my life, I really enjoy the new record. I listened to the whole thing. Okay. I was playing it loud. I, I just, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I hope I'm not trying to impress you, but I really listened to it. I turned it up to four. And <laughs> <laughs> I woke up the cat, so I turned it up. <laughs> it was on my phone, some shitty yeah. speaker. I was, But it was rocking. No, I listened to it on good speakers, and I really enjoyed it. My life is... I have a two-year-old daughter, and we watch a lot of Finding Nemo, and I love that. It's fun. it's wonderful. It's a joy. But I don't have a lot of that, you know, that energy, like real aggressive energy. And um, so I was really enjoying it. And I was like, you know, I'm 41. I sort of struggle sometimes when I'm doing stand-up to find the edge, to find a place where I can be like, fuck that shit. When I was younger, it was so easy to be like yeah. – what do you mean, sir? You call me sir or whatever it could be. And I'd have a bit. So I really was curious 
how you stay in touch with, for lack of a better term, the fire. Because because the music is, I'm talking to you and I'm like, oh yeah, this this feels completely normal. I listen to the record and I'm like, this is frightening. <laughs> you know, it can be it can be intense. How do you stay in touch with that? You know, I don't know if this is the reason, and, I, and I'm only saying this because of something someone said. I wonder if it's because I I don't have kids. Mm. Because as soon as I remember my brother had kids, he was like, eh, I feel kind of weird about. It. He said something. I don't remember if this was exactly because he'll hear this and go, I didn't fucking say that. But it was <laughs> like he felt weird about swearing or something. Yeah. Whereas, like you know, everything in our house, like fuck, fuck, motherfuck, if I, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and I swear, swear at the nieces and nephews and stuff. <laughs> Hey, take him away from me. Bad influence. But it's like, uh, I think that's something like, you know, like, and even when we're on tour, like we'll play a show, we'll get off the bus, we'll go eat, we're watching Family Guy. We go, look at our life. We are living the life of 14-year-olds. We yeah. just yelled, fuck you at an audience for 90 minutes, essentially. Our music. Yeah. We're not yeah. eating whatever we want, whenever we want. I think it's, that's why it's a complete arrested development, perhaps. You can stay in touch with teenage you because you're still, you look out, your body may be older, but the same, it's, nothing much has changed. It's still fun. It's still that's family. Funny. Nothing's changed. It's like, it's really weird. It's interesting that you say yelling, fuck you at the audience. I don't mean literally yelling, but I mean, I just like, just on stage screaming, you know. No, I actually think that's what's going on. Like, I don't want to get force a deep conversation or anything, but there's a real need. Uh, when I would go, to, I would go to the rat. Remember the rat Skella? Yeah, that's where the rat, the rat is. The last time I went to the rat is when I lost all my friends. No shit. So, you know, I was in New York where, so probably like, who's he fucking think he is now? Uh, <laughs> I'm like, I'm just a, a bike messenger, flat broke in New York, put together, you know, my band white zombie come to the rat. Nobody gives a shit. I don't know. There was like, what, 10 people there and we were horrible. And all my friends are just watching like, yeah. And then just <laughs> left. And I've never spoken to them since. They left during the show? Years ago. Or like right when the show ended, I was like, hey, what's happening? They're just like, see ya. Like, I'm like, you can't be jealous of this. <laughs> you know? But, it was, but I think, I don't know what it was, but it was so weird. So I, I have no contact with anyone. From then, that is that is brutal. I weird. It is weird. I I wonder again. It goes back to kind of it being a hard thing. But when you find the people that like it, so I'm thinking about the shows that I went to, and they were like hardcore, like the Casualties. I don't know if you remember the Casualties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. These were like intense shows. These were not. I'm in, I'm I'm in Lexington. I'm eating at Albon Pan. Uh, you know what I mean. I'm wearing khakis. <laughs> I'm not wearing khakis yet, but like it's a very khaki world. And then I would go. Why was I going? What was I getting? So I know you're joking when you say "fuck you" to the audience, but it's like there is this like let's not dress it up. Let's let's go into the shadow or whatever and have someone be. It's like Halloween. It's like a Halloween feel. It's like, let's stop pretending we don't die for an hour and we get catharsis. Can you speak a little to that catharsis? I think that, like, it was just, um, I think punk rock hits everybody in the same way. It's just liberating. Mm. Because, you know, especially for me, like, I'm I'm on that group of people that always says, like, well, you like you see Led Zeppelin and you see Pink Floyd and you're like, well, I can't do that. It's like these guys came from another planet. Yeah. And then you see the dead Kennedys and you go, all right, that yeah. might be global. 
Right. And then you see some other bands, you go, wow, they're really horrible. This is totally <laughs> doable. You know, I'm sure you must have, th- I, that's why I have a lot of comic friends. And I think it, there's some of that. You must have seen people that were so bad that you thought, like, I that's know my, that guy. That's my he number one. feeling good about himself. <laughs> that's my number one advice is I say, go to an open mic. Don't sign up. Just watch. You'll sign up next week. You will sign up next week. You will watch someone that almost disrespects the art form. And you're like, if I just went up with a theme, I would be ahead. You're just going to find one person who you think sucks more than you, and that'll be your motivation. But that's not that guy. That's sort of, it's not quite anger, but that's one of the fuels that can motivate is you're like, wait a minute. I thought it was special people. I thought it was special people that drove in New York. Turns out the reason it's so crazy is because everybody's driving. Like you too can drive in New York. You can do it. (laughs) I had to, I lived in New York for about 10 years when I, and I had to park an oversized van every day because it was for the band. And so I'm an excellent parallel parker, by the way. <laughs> but like, yeah, you have to just drive like, they better get out of the way. If they yeah. don't, I don't know how I'm going to explain this. Because you're just barreling down the street, not looking, and people just run out of the way because they're walking like, oh, Jay walking well, okay, I'll pick up the pace. <laughs> You just have to be mental. If you're like, oh, then be careful. You're immediately going to hit somebody. That's right. It's it's safer to be unsafe. It's the same. I don't know if you've been to Rome. It's even crazier, like the way they drive in parts of Europe. Yeah. Last time I was in Rome, we were in a cab. And I was like, I and I had to just think that. I thought like, I think this guy knows what he's doing. Because <laughs> yeah. he was just like practically driving on the sidewalk. And then yeah. they're back in the street and on the sidewalk. And I'm like, by the time we got out of the cab, you always have to like, I'm going to fucking puke first. <laughs> That's the tip. Yeah. It's rude if you don't puke. It's strange. It's a different culture. You're supposed to puke and then get out. Now you have to like, sir, could you stop looking at your phone? Dude, uh, when I, I was in Italy, the driver was driving and he was on his phone in a way that would baffle an American. I know we're on our phones. Uh, and we shouldn't be. It's one of the things that drives me the most crazy. They say it's like driving drunk. If this, if that's driving drunk, this guy was driving on heroin. He was yeah. not driving. And at a certain point, I just had to surrender and go, it's culture. It's like being on a different planet. And every other window I looked in, the driver was doing the same thing. So it's this like symphony of chaos that somehow works. I, I can't yeah, explain. Yeah. I mean, I remember what, I don't think, I think when we left, I think I was in Argentina. We landed at the airport and just went right into the traffic. And I was like, this is the fucking crazy. People are driving the wrong direction on that. <laughs> they show uh, in China. I remember a couple of years ago, they were doing a report on China, how like people don't really, they just drive every which way. Like really diagonal. Like the, you know, they were showing in Beijing that there's like, you know, 600 accidents an hour or some crazy thing. Cause, and the insurance guys just show up because people don't know what they're doing yet. Oh my the god! Way, the way that I pick is the way that we go. Like they just crack <laughs> each other all over the place. It's the funniest thing. I was going one way. Yeah. I was driving one way. Does not go two directions at once. <laughs> so I guess I don't know my point in that one. No, I love it. We were talking about uh, the catharsis that I would feel. I still, when do I listen to punk rock now? It's usually when my parents are visiting. And again, I <laughs> I love my parents. Or uh, Rancid has a, has a song called, um, I think it's called Satellite or something, Satellites. And it's about like, it's basically their fuck LA song. Yeah, yeah. 
And when I was first struggling in L.A., I'd have like a bad pitch or a bad audition and I would blast that. But it was so nice and can still be so nice to have music meet you where you are. When you don't feel Jimmy Buffett inside, yeah, it can right. actually be really helpful to have Alice Cooper, Marilyn Manson be like, yeah, I understand. Let, let's not act like the human animal doesn't have every feeling, doesn't have a perverse interest and fear of death and all that stuff. Without being too heady, I hope you don't think I'm trying to trick you into a Charlie no, Rose moment. I, but. I, I agree. I mean, it's like when you're a fucked up teenager and you don't know what to do. That's why, you know, a lot of kids find metal. But there was something in that that later I would gravitate towards, but not as a teenager. I mean, I grew up like with, yeah, you know, I was into Alice Cooper and Blue Easter Cult and things, but that wasn't like metal metal, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it's just something about punk rock that's like, okay, I'm, this is, that music is how I feel. I can't yeah. explain. I just want to, I don't want to sing. I just want to scream everything. Yeah. You know, you, like you said, like, and like, especially, you know, at that age in Boston, like where it, it seemed like there was the cars were the only band played on the radio 24. You're know, like, Rick Ocasek is not really how I feel inside. <laughs> That's you <know>? it. <laughs> and you said I could do that. That's what punk rock was. We started a punk band because we were like, if you know, and we didn't even know how to be condescending. We were like, it looks like he's playing one chord and he's moving his arm around. Yeah. And I was like, I can learn that chord. I played bass first and then someone showed me a power chord and I was like, oh, I guess I can play guitar now. Yeah. Like I know how to play guitar. <laughs> bass and, is always the instrument for the guy that really wants to be there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. I, I didn't have the confidence yet to say I wanted to be, it seemed gauche to be like, I want to be the front man. Like maybe you could speak to, I, doesn't it take a certain level of like, yeah, I'm going to be Rob Zombie. That's like a confident move to be like, I'll be the front. I still don't understand how it happened because I was, even at that age, even though New York had opened my mind to like, hey, there's cool stuff everywhere and cool people, that everybody isn't just concerned with, you know, whatever, wearing pink eyes because that's the hip <laughs> shirt to wear at school. That <laughs> you know, like, you <laughs> should breakfast club. But, but yeah. it's like, I was still incredibly shy. So the idea of, I, you know, if there was like three people in the room, I wouldn't be able to speak to all three of them. Or I wasn't I, talking on the phone made me nervous. Yeah, me too. Still Doing anything made me nervous. And then, you know, started putting a band together. I wouldn't even really sing at rehearsal because it was felt weird. It wasn't really till I walked on stage at audition night at CBGB's that I actually think had sounds come out of my mouth into a microphone. Wow. And it's kind of a miracle that I didn't just faint or something (laughs) i completely understand because with comedy having the audience there or having some sort of stakes there you're saying it's an audition was there a crowd there not really um it was really funny because the band before us because you think like oh now we're going but you're not really in the you don't know the way it works yet we're like oh no you're in the shit cleanup spot where maybe the janitor is still here but this band (laughs) before us was all super professional and they were like from New Jersey and the place was packed. I'm like, what the fuck? And then they left and so did all of New Jersey. Oh my happy. God. Luck, I'm probably better that there was no one in the place, but yeah. It, <laughs> but uh, you you enter through a gateway, right? I, and you become it's hard for a front man to exist at a Chipotle, right? Like a, a front man exists at the front of a stage and 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 the environment helps. Am I, I hope I'm not leading you down the wrong way, but a spell is cast and you become a thing. I just think you like, there's a couple things. I think that 
I had a moment where I'm just thinking to myself or not like looking in the mirror, like I'm Jake LaMotta or something, but I'm just thinking, you know, are you, are you you're either going to fucking do this or you are going to be a fucking loser. You're going to be everything you hate about yourself for the rest of your <laughs> stupid fucking life. You know, I really had that moment with myself. Wow. That's yeah. the eight mile moment too. Is yeah, the really like, just like, but it really was, I didn't say it out loud and probably didn't come out that good, but, but you just got to go like, look, man, just fucking do it. What are you not going to do it? You're going to just like be a loser and you just kind of do it. I mean, and, and that's really all it takes sometimes. And then you go, okay, well, yeah, I did it. Maybe it sucked, but I did it. I'll make it a little better next time. And I'll make it better next time. And you know, you just, once you get over the initial, just fucking doing it. It's, but that's the paradox, right? You don't want to be embarrassed. The cake was from the store. Yeah. But you realize that the ultimate way to actually not be embarrassed is to go hard in the other direction and do the vulnerable thing. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you, you must get this a lot. Like when people come up to you go, I get the best idea. I go, man, I get a lot of fucking ideas too. And they're never going to get made. When you have a <laughs> bank account filled with money and you can finance this idea, then you can come. <laughs> nothing, nothing is like the worst band is better than the band that that guy's still dreaming about having the worst oh, wow. movie is more entertaining than the move, the script that you never wrote, but you talked about for your whole fucking life. Whoa. And, I you have to suck for a while. Yes. That's a long time. Sometimes. <laughs> I mean, everybody that's listening to the show knows I'm going to say this, but I always think about the first time Eminem freestyled. He had to be bad. like, yeah. I, And we just, we block that out because thankfully there weren't cameras and phones filming him. Right. And now there are. And I'm like, I worry, I sound very old, but I worry about the young people because I'm like, your sucking time should be on a stoop in Detroit. It shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, it should not be recorded. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? The revolution will be televised. Well, so will you. Sucking will be televised. Yes. Um, uh, but, but yeah, no. I mean, I, I think that that's that's a big. And what I notice now is like people. This is a weird thing. We don't have to get off on this tangent for too much, but because this probably isn't in comedy, is like a lot of young bands now don't write their own songs. Well, wow. they songwriters will write the songs for their album. So that's why a lot of times you hear new bands you go, "Why do they all sound the same?" And they go, well, just because I'm an old guy. No, because that girl or that guy wrote all the songs for these fucking 25 different bands. That's right. why it's on the same. The certain key changes come, you know, oh, they're going to scream the chorus, but then they get melodic in the verse. Again. Real, And it's because you have to be your own, you know, you have to be awful for a long time to figure out who you are. That's the only way you'll be unique because everything that I eventually would get popular for was exactly the same thing I was told I was horrible for. Mm. You know, I, I completely love that. It's like trying to pole vault over the suck years by letting yeah. uh, some old guy write you a hit is robbing you of. <laughs> sorry for the religious imagery. It's rob, robbing you of your crucifixion. You you need to be crucified before you're resurrected. And you're like, no, let's just start in heaven. I'll just be I'll just be God. <laughs> right, because the thing is, it's like. It's sucking and having people look at you and give you the finger on stage and or not pay attention. That's why your skin, my skin is so tough now. I don't like people think they get you on Instagram or they write. I'm like, I give two fucking shit. There is literally nothing someone could say to me that would bother me. Yeah, nothing bothers me. It doesn't matter. I keep going because it just you've already gone through it all. <laughs> you know, 
it's like it's like someone beat you to a pulp and then some guy makes a mean face at you and you're like oh please yeah that's really hurt me after i got divorced my my old therapist my first therapist i was like something bad had happened to me and i was like it's weird i don't care but it was like it would have wrecked me before and he was like he goes pete this is uh dr sure in brooklyn i don't know if he's still working he goes um yeah, Pete, you're, you're, you're a surfer and you have a huge shark bite out of your side and like a piranha just bit your, your little toe. Like you don't care. Like you're dealing with the shark yeah. bite. So you've been through the shark bite. Yeah. I, I remember being at the, I think it was the Middle East and I saw uh, Rancid. This was probably like 95. So they, they were starting, Let's Go had come out. They were starting to get right. really big. And then I noticed the crowd was much bigger and it was much rowdier. And again, it was sort of that, like, why do I come here? This is, like, scaring me. But, like, subconsciously, you probably wanted something a little scary. Uh, you know, the, the crowd, I don't know when the last time you've been in, like, a small, rowdy crowd, but it starts moving, like, one thing. You know what I mean? I can tell you exactly the exact moment. <laughs> tell me. I went to see Black Flag at Irving Plaza on the... Either it was the My War or Slip It In tour. I was right up against the stage. Henry Rollins was right in my face. <laughs> like getting pushed into his knee. And I was like, I'm done. I'm standing in the back from now on. <laughs> I can remember so clearly thinking, move to the back. That's... Anymore. <laughs> uh, Rob, that was me when I was 17. I went to the Warp tour. We go up to the front for uh, Green Day. And then everybody's up there early. It's, it's sort of rude, but another band is on another stage, but we're already lining up for green day. And as soon as it starts, the force of everybody coming over, you're like, this is a stampede. I'm going to die. I was like, I'm, I'm, I've been 40 since I was 14. I, I, I didn't want that shit. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I cannot, I got to hand it to some audience, especially when we, you know, go overseas or somewhere in South America and the audience is just as, you know, it's like a hundred thousand people in a field. And they're just crushed and they're going mental. I'm like, I mean, are you alive? Are there, how many dead people are in that crowd? Right now? It just looks mental. You, can, you can probably say that in a cheer. How many dead people are in the crowd? Everybody goes nuts. Yeah, it's funny. Last time we, we finally got to Mexico. Actually, the last show we played before COVID was Mexico City. And it was a huge show. And our, our Mexican show had been canceled like four or five times. Always because it's always a little shady. You know, like you're like, we got to be paid 100 percent in advance before we're getting on the plane because you try negotiating that. back. Yeah. 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 So every time they're like, oh, they send 70 percent, but we'll get the other 30 percent when you land. We're like, we're not going like literally bags are at the front door. The car's waiting and we don't go for like. So we finally get there. You got to look at it like Firefest. You get yeah, paid. Up yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you get to keep the money. So I've made a lot of money not going to Mexico. Um, <laughs> So we finally get there the night before uh, it's this festival. Slipknot's playing Friday. We're playing Saturday or something like that. And their show gets canceled. It's a total riot. They pull the equipment off the stage. The kids light it all on fire. It's just a riot. Whoa. And I don't know why. I don't remember what happened. But I'm sitting at the hotel. I'm going like, well, Mexico's doing what they usually do, I guess. But then we play, and I was like, fuck it, who gives a shit? And they're like, you guys are going to play. I'm like, who gives a fuck? What could go, what's, what could happen? And yeah. it, was, it was nuts. It was fucking nuts, but it was great. But the crowd was so happy because everything else had canceled. Everybody wow. was leaving, and we're like, ah, fuck it. They'll like us more. 
That reminds me of a bad stand. The best stand-up shows are it's going bad, really bad for forty-five <laughs> minutes, and then you go up. I have vivid memories of going up and turning a crowd. Ask ask your comic friends. The best feeling, or your musicians, is turning a crowd. You if you to, just I go up, that though, that's what we yeah. say. Yeah, like, that's what sucking turn. You have because like no crowd until you're like really famous is they don't when they come they're, they're happy to see you and then you hear like people like steve martin complain like they're so happy to see me they're laughing at everything yeah you know, yeah like i'm just standing there and they're laughing but, like, um, <laughs> but yeah but you have to learn how to turn them and you you do after time because at first people be like yeah standing with their arms crossed giving you the finger and you're like i know how to turn this around it'll yeah. take 15 minutes worth of show time to get there but we'll do it yeah you well know? my we'll smash something in here that'll get the kids on our side and do something ridiculous. See, that's so funny. I have to think that you guys might move a set list around and be like, let's kick them right, right in the face, right at the beginning. And the comedian move, in my experience, is always going smaller. Like everybody's going up and, and trying real big to break in. And like the guys that I see turn crowds often have that attitude of like, I don't care how this goes. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna dance for you. I, like, and then, and then they start leaning in, and then you, and then you have them for yeah. for comedy. It's probably a different attack, but it's the same mindset. You got to just, you know, because you gotta, you can't just freeze and go like, oh my god, they don't like me. You got to go. I will sub- pummel them into submission until yeah. they like me. It's Bernie Mac. Have you seen that amazing Bernie Mac set? I ain't scared of y'all, motherfuckers. No, but I love Bernie Mac. You have to. You have to watch it. I'll, I'll email it to your publicist or whatever, but like, it's the best. It's like something you should watch if you ever need to get psyched. Cause everybody's eating shit at deaf comedy gym. And he goes up, tells one joke and kicks on the music and dances <laughs> and then yells, I ain't scared of you motherfuckers. And he does it over and over and over. And by the end, I mean, they were ready to give them their, their kids. Like, please be our, our godfather. <laughs> but I guess that's part of it, too. That's, that's called just paying your dues. You're not scared of the audience. And when you see sometimes a band uh, or maybe a comedian that, like, the band had a hit, but they're not really there yet, and then they get stuck on a big stage, and they look tiny because they're like, yeah. we've never been on a stage bigger than 10 feet. This is like 100 yards long. We don't know what to do with those ramps. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, that's because you got to learn it. I, I, I've been, I've opened for people and they were in a movie or something. And it's always a curse. Right. It, it, there was a stereotype. If you, I was out of Chicago. Um, and if you were opening for a guy that was in a movie, it was like, can he do it? Like everybody wanted to see if he could actually do it. Like we have the check spot, which is when they drop the checks. And it's like, right. let's see if the guy that has that big movie, but can he handle a check spot? Like everybody, not, not vindictively, but we were curious like, did he have the or she have the grit to yeah. get through that that real showbiz? The the story about seeing Rancid was um, Tim Armstrong was in the front and someone uh, was crowd surfing in front of him. I remember this like it was yesterday. Shirtless kid is crowd surfing. Tim's in the middle of some song, and the kid doesn't just spit on Tim. He hawks a loogie like it was the biggest. Yeah. It looked like it's probably where COVID started. Actually, it was like the biggest, nastiest flam. I'm sorry to gross people out, and it was right in his face, and his mouth is open, and it's just the wow. grossest situation. It didn't just go in his mouth, but it's dripping down his face, and he didn't, he didn't flinch. I, 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 I met him. I tried to get him to do this podcast. It didn't work out. But like, I always wanted to ask him about that. But like, 
that reminds me of you being like, what are you going to say on Instagram? Yeah. Has, has weird shit like that happened to you? I have to imagine people are like, oh, this is our demon lord. Surely he'd like a, a jar of my feces. Uh, <laughs> no, it's weird. It's like, for the most part, it's like, uh, I got over worrying about what people thought very early because it was like in the early, early days of playing clubs and people would write reviews and if they were awful or, or record reviews were awful, whoever, you didn't know who wrote it because it'd just be a name. You know, like, so you think, oh, that guy who wrote it must be like, super fucking cool badass <laughs> dude oh man we suck and then the first time i met the first like guy who wrote one of the reviews i was like that fucking dork wrote it who gives a shit <laughs> like, fuck him what did he ever fucking do and from there on out i just didn't give a shit that is the attitude i heard jerry seinfeld going like you shouldn't review comedy it already happened the crowd reviewed it yeah. That's what the crowd is doing. They reviewed it. So like a thousand people are having a great time at a, at a white zombie show. And then one guy is like, they, they, they suck. I don't see it. (laughs) (laughs) But aren't they your mother? They don't want to be embarrassed. You said, Steve Martin, I always take such great comfort in Steve Martin's on the cover of Rolling Stone. I have it um, in like 1970. Who cares? 1976, let's say. And like 1974, when his album came out, they ripped it apart. They they were so mean. And there he's on the cover. And I'm always yeah. like, don't you see? It's your mom with the cake. It yeah. was from the store. They don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to. It's the same thing when someone's buying a movie, buying a show. They don't want to be embarrassed. So you're going to take a chance on me. And they have to go like, I know it's from the store, but it was good cake. And 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 a lot of people don't have the courage to do that. Well, I think there. I mean, sometimes it's hard to want to be go this route. But, you know really you either want to be loved or hated because what, you know, that's a weird, obviously the love part would be more fun, but you know, mm. some, that was the worst fucking movie ever or worse. It's better than ever. Someone just going like, eh, it was all right. It's Kanye West. He says, yeah. you don't feel the same way about me, but at least you feel something. Yeah. 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 Right. Because it's just like, especially with comics, some people just don't, you know, get it. Like someone yeah. could be hilarious. And it's like, I don't like George Carlin. Right. Okay, I don't know how that's possible, but yeah. <laughs> well, there there might be like a fundamental step in understanding what comedy is that's missing, <laughs> or understanding what it is uh, that you're doing, music or or, or, or movie. I, I saw, you know, I have, forgive me, I didn't watch, uh, I can't watch any movies. As I mentioned, I have a two year old; it's impossible. <laughs> My wife and I watch two episodes of uh, some comedy at night, and we just go to bed. Um, but I wanted to watch House of a Thousand Corpses. And then in my research, I saw exactly what we're talking about. A lot of the the cakes from the store, people are going, it's too gory, it's grotesque. And then the other hand is people are going, it's one of the greatest horror movies of all time. I mean, I don't know. I mean, to me, House of a Thousand Corpses, since it's my first film, it's just, it's, I'm very happy it happened. There's parts of it that I that I do like. And I watched it recently because I was putting together this vinyl soundtrack thing. I was like, ah, oh. I hadn't watched it in like 20 years. I was like, oh. <laughs> I remember it being much worse than it is. Did any part scare you? I always wonder if Stephen King no, can read his own no, book. I and remember, be- no, it's, <laughs> it's just like, um, I forget my point. Uh, oh, we were saying some people yeah, thought when, it was the best. When it came out, like people now be like, that's my favorite movie. That's the best one. But when it came out, I'm like, I cannot remember a review, getting a review better than like, an F or this is the worst movie ever made. I yeah. believe those are the two reviews that it was. 
you know, everybody hated it. It didn't do anything. And now it's, but hey, say la vie. Who no fuck knows? But, but aren't, aren't we talking about what you were saying? It's like at least they hated it. I, I know that's kind of a crazy thing to say, but it could have yeah. been just another airplane movie or something. I mean, we've all seen a bunch of movies where you kind of already forgot what it was by the time you left the theater and walked to your car. Yeah, that's your wife with uh, yeah. Wonder Woman. We didn't yeah. finish it. And she thought it was good too, but it was just like, I don't know. It felt, I guess she felt like it was over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <was> more fighting? <laughs> uh, there's a great, there's a, I think Screen Junkies, I think it's Screen Junkies. I, as a filmmaker, this might sound absurd, but there's really great YouTube content of people teaching you how to make movies, teaching you how to critique movies and like understand movies. And there was a great one about the difference between Marvel and DC. And it was just so right on. They were just talking about like the stakes and like, and why sometimes it does feel like, oh, it's more fighting. Like some of the Superman movies come to mind where it's just like, who cares? Two invincible things are fighting each other. Who cares? And a CGI building fell down. Who cares? Have you (laughs) ever seen a more, I mean, I love the original Superman with Christopher Reeve. I saw that the day came out as a kid and I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. But that is the character they do not know what to do with. Oh, sure. It's the most boring fucking character. I was just ranting about this. It's Western. It's Western Jesus. It's it's meaning Eastern Orthodox Jesus has a lot more nuance to him. I'm not going to get into all that, but like Western Jesus, the way that a lot of people understand uh, Jesus is that he was perfect. And that is one of the most like, boring ideas ever yeah. is a guy came he moonwalked across the earth effortlessly and he left and he didn't even die kid he didn't even die he's fucking fine that's yeah. Superman. and and that's bounce off his fucking tits exactly no one can relate to that i'll make one religious point <laughs> you can't be crucified like being crucified is not is not not vulnerable. That's all I'm going to say. You know what I'm saying? Like, be, like Superman doesn't get crucified. Like this guy is getting whipped and crucified. Anyway, um, where were we? We have a lot of things. Oh, you you mentioned you mentioned CBGB. What around what time was that? It was 1985. You'll forgive me. I was that before Gigi Allen died. <laughs> it was before Gigi died because I saw Gigi Allen a couple times. You did. Yeah, because um, my friend was in the band. For a short time, uh, this guy who used to run this company called Homestead Records, that it was this indie label, was in his band. And he's like, I didn't even know who Gigi Allen was. He's like, oh, come on down. And I'm like, why are you wearing a football helmet on stage? He's like, I don't want to get fucking hit with shit. I'm like, hey. <laughs> and it, it, Gigi, Allen, <laughs> Gigi Allen played this club called the Cat Club. And the Cat Club was normally a club where they'd be like, LA Guns type bands. It wasn't a punk rock club. And Gigi came out, started smashing the mic into his head, took a <laughs> shit and threw it at the audience, ran around. I don't know, maybe the show lasted like three seconds. Man, the whole club smelled like shit too. In like two seconds. That was brutal. Can I just say, as a show person, we're both show show people. That's the, the, show business, yeah. the lamest way to put it. That is show business. When when a magician pulls a dove out of his pocket, I think we're the type of people that going. How long was that dove in there? You know. Yeah, I feel bad for the dove. I feel bad for the dove. With Gigi <laughs> Allen, I'm like, look, it is undeniably very hardcore to shit on stage. And then I'm also like, 
what are you doing to make sure you need to shit right before the show? Like how, how, what fiber, what are you eating? How are you making sure the dove is in your pocket? I don't understand. Cause that, that shows, I, I'm trying to make this point. Like it seems so cool or, or to some people, to some people it's horrifying uh, to me, but it's also like <laughs> he had to have had something very not cool, which is some predetermined plan for how hardcore he was going to be. Well, I think when it gets to that guy, you have to wonder. Um, I don't know how much of it was a plan or mental illness. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, because that's like there has to be something seriously wrong with you if you're going to like take a shit on stage and roll around in it. Yeah. And attack somebody. But do you, I wonder, see, I think this, I think these thoughts, I'm like, is there a scene? Okay, here's the comedy that you and I will make. It'll be a 30 <laughs> second short. Gigi Allen takes a dump before the show and he's quietly sad. Yeah. Like he's, he's sad that he, he's yeah, like, that was, encore. That, was, yeah, that, was, that was my closer. Like, what am yeah, I going to do? Somebody, he's getting the bass player to shit in his, in the back of his pants so he can uh-huh. pretend like I'm just, that is what's interesting to me about uh, showbiz. Now, all of this stuff, when, when you're trying to get, talking about show business, and you're trying to get into, would you use the word persona? I, I, I'm comfortable saying on stage, I'm a persona. That's not exactly 100% me. Um, I'm wondering how you get in the space if you're having a day where you're having lots of banal issues in your life, your, your beautiful office, uh, there's a leak in the roof or whatever it is. It's very recently happened. Uh, <laughs> and now you have to go on in, in Mexico City and like you have to be Rob Zombie. What are you doing to get into the zone? I'm not doing anything really. I mean, it's funny. It's like... I don't really have a persona. I never wanted to have a persona because then I think like, well, then you kind of have to live up to this persona. You created this thing and now you're this character. I was like, ah, that's a lot of trouble. Yeah. But what really, like, there's been a lot of nights where I don't feel like playing just because I, I'm tired or something bad happened or I feel sick. Or, but as soon as you hear the music and you walk out in the audience, the, the energy of the audience, it's, you're just there. And it's almost like you just go blank. Yeah. You just go blank and then, you know, you don't have to force it. Sometimes if maybe on the more on the nights when I'm sick in my brain, I'll be thinking like, come on, man, fucking pick up the pace, fucking move it. You know, you're dogging the shit up here. Yeah. Feeling sick. But yeah, it just kind of happens. It's just kind of an explosion of adrenaline, I guess. I think it's the same thing with comedy. I've, I've gone up the night of a breakup and the first laugh just carries you into another space. And I would even say, I bet you would agree that if you are trying to be a front man, you're doing it wrong. Like if it's not happening somewhat naturally, it's probably, yeah, I think the front front man thing is like a, gets a, it gets a bad rap because a lot of people are obnoxious, but it just has there. I mean, I think it all the time. Like there was this one show we were playing in, um, it was an outdoor like stadium show. We were playing with kiss and when I walked on stage, it looked like, you know, oh, my God, what is this? Frampton comes alive. It looked like there was just so many people. And I'm just one person on this long catwalk out surrounded by 50,000 people. And I'm like, what kind of sick person <laughs> thinks, oh, yeah, I can. All they need is me to keep them entertained. <laughs> <laughs> it's, really, 
<laughs> it was actually going through my mind as I was doing it. I was like, this is mental. But then, but, but then I'm like, stop thinking that because it's fine. And you're going to fucking overthink it till you're really thinking about it. And now it's not working because yes, you just realize it shouldn't work. You're an actor that just wondered, what do I do with my hands? Yeah. Or the, this plane shouldn't be able to get off the ground type. Thing. Exactly. 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 Oh, yeah. Yeah. I do with my hands. Oh, you're your face in every scene. Dude, the hardest thing I did in crashing was the scenes where I just had to walk from one place to another place. <laughs> I used to do math in my head because I was like, if I don't think something, I'll only think, am I walking normal? So I forget what we watched. We watched some, I don't, I can't remember what it was. We watched a movie at some point <laughs> and it was a dramatic movie. And I was most impressed with the scenes where the actress just walked from one place to another. Cause I was like, you, you know, on a film, it's not natural. There's a million people, there's background yeah. actors and you're just walking and suddenly I'm back in junior high wondering if the, the girls think I walk weird, which they did. Yeah. I sort of had a lumbering quality. <laughs> you're like, is this how I hold my phone? Is, is this right? You know? Forget yeah, it. Sounds weird. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's why I, I'm always, I've gotten asked a lot to be in movies and I always say no, because I have no desire to act. And I'm like, and that's a big part of it because I can't, I don't think, I don't think I could do it. A lot of, um, acting I watch, I just wish the director would come in and make them wiggle like a noodle, even if they're not going to do it in the scene, but like if they could just loosen up their bodies, because a lot of performances that bother me are, they look like they're doing it at gunpoint. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's, that's you're, you're a cafeteria worker. Why are you so scared? <laughs> or why are you so stiff? Like, yeah, like something. It's weird. I mean, and whenever I cast a movie, <clears throat> I never do casting sessions in the room with people. I always want to just see them on tape mm. because sometimes in a room, someone can be really charismatic. And you think that guy's got it. And then you watch it on tape. You're like, wow, it's like watching fucking paint dry. And sometimes actors like I, you know, I made a couple of movies with Brad Dourif, you know, who's, you know, who Brad Dourif is. Mm -hmm. And when you're watching him, it looks like he's doing nothing. Mm hmm. Sometimes like, in, and it looks like he's giving you nothing, but then when you watch it back, he's so quietly intense. They go, Oh, there it is it, in the room. It's nothing in the room. It's completely boring, but in, on film is where only place it counts. Right. Completely delivers. When I, I had Paul Bettany on and I, I watched him in a movie called uncle Frank, which I really enjoyed. And he does so little. Yeah. I, I said, I said this to him too. And he said, don't forget the camera's telling the story too. Yeah. It's something that I had to learn. I, 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 want, I want to play to the back row. I want them to see my weird yeah. uh, big faces. And he was like, just, just do what Brad is doing. Do something small because the camera is picking it all up. Yeah. And it's like nothing is worse when you get an actor sometimes that thinks they can somehow control the way the movie is going to end up by, how, by their performance. <laughs> they don't want to do like you'll give them a note. You know, and I'm not not, and sometimes I'll, I'm, I don't really, you know, I cast people because I think they're going to give me what I want, and I'm not going to try to like force them into things. They need to come like 99 percent there anyway. But sometimes it'll just be a <clears throat> a note like you got to cheat your head head around a little bit more because we can't see you. Yeah, and like yeah, 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 I got it, I got it. I'm like, trust me, when we get into editing, there ain't going to be any you. Yeah, yeah. And they don't want to listen because they think like ah, I know what's going on here, or they think I'm gonna like give make it really limited so he can't fuck up what I want in the movie. 
and it's always the worst. Yeah. And you keep editing it down to nothing because like they didn't, they, they don't, they can't see the vision. They're so caught up in who they are or actors that, I don't know if you've dealt with this when on your show, but you know, they just so want to be the control of the scene. They <laughs> shit on everybody. And they make everybody. Some people make everybody better, and some people make everybody worse. Yeah, there there can be tornado people. Yeah. What what really brought <laughs> that brought me back was because I was involved in the editing of Crashing. Every we were always editing together. We had great editors that edited on their own, but then we'd all watch it together. And can I ask you one question about Crashing? Yeah. I was thinking about the other day. Are you in every single scene? I believe I'm in every single scene. Yeah. Absolutely. Except. <laughs> That's intense. <laughs> it, it was intense. It was intense. And the show that I'm uh, working on now, I'm very deliberately not in every single scene because okay. I would like to direct. I mean, you had to be. It was all about you and your how we saw life through you. But I was like, wow, that's that's brutal. I, I appreciate that. That's empathetic. And it's what I wanted. And I'm not saying I got it out of my system, but I did sort of get it out of my system. That's sort of like this will be. Me, I want to do it all because I, I really did and do like when I go to a stand up show and I'm watching the other stand ups, I'm like, I just I got to get out there. I want to be in the scene. Yeah, yeah. And now I think I'm calming down a little bit that I would love to direct a scene that I wrote that I'm not in, but like how let them do it and watch it. I always think of, um, oh, I'm blanking on her name, but she did um, uh, Lady Bird. Greta Gerwig. Greta Gerwig, yeah. So she's an actor. She was in a lot of movies where she was in every scene. And then she wrote something and directed it and didn't act. And she said it was the most satisfying experience of her creative life. And I was like, I think I'm starting to move in that direction where I don't need to be in the scene to to be in the scene, to be involved. I love directing for that reason because so much of what I do is got to be me out front all the time. Mm. And being behind the camera is just great. I think behind the camera and then locked away in an editing room for eight months. I think that's one of my favorite things. I I know you do voiceover. I love voiceover recording studios. They're cozy and it's private and you can get small and get intimate. And I love editing bays would do it. My my wife would come. She'd sit in the edits. We just both like that energy. It's great. Making you watch TV. We watch TV now and we're like, I don't know. I wonder if they have a different take of that because it's so fun to go like, do they have a different take of that and change it? So if you like TV, you'll probably like making TV or maybe there's a chance. There's a chance. What was I saying? Oh, in crashing. Yeah. I'm not, it, it was, it was hard for me to be the, you know, one of the creative forces behind it and have a vision for it and then be in a scene with somebody that I know isn't being caught by the camera. So sometimes I would, in between lines, take somebody and just turn their body. Because a lot of times we were working with people that maybe hadn't acted before. So you you literally, not in a mean way at all, but you just sort of nudge. Or more often, you'd see me moving off my mark because I knew I wasn't in the camera. I was like, this is great. I'm all for like a dirty shot, but like... (laughs) We, this is my coverage and we can't use it. So I'm just going to take a step. And I, I'm, I'm very proud to say that the camera operator, Rodney, really liked that about me because he knew that I knew that I wasn't on camera. That's funny, yeah. And it's going to waste. You're talking about, forget the money. It's thousands and thousands of dollars, but you're wasting time. And a guy holding a very heavy camera, if I just stood on my mark stubbornly, I was like, you know what? Uh, this guy's not moving. I'm going to take a step to my right. That's what that brought up to mind. Yeah, I mean, the key to directing is being able to make split decisions quickly. Yeah. 
But it's like, nothing. I mean, that's why when I'm with my first film, I was like, eh, because I didn't understand any of this. And by my second film, I did. But you, nothing's worse than getting in the editing room and going like, we don't have it. Yeah. You know? Well, that that's what Judd uh, Apatow taught me. Um, and, you know, I like it both ways. I like people that do it Judd's way and I like people that don't do it Judd's way. But what he taught me was like, always get clean singles of people. And you, when you watch his movies, you can see he's make he's shooting it so that in the edit he can do it one of fifty ways. Yeah. But he wants to get every ingredient possible. So uh, for people listening, a, a clean single means no one else is in it. If it's a dirty single, meaning you can see the shoulder and the lips of the other person, you're now bound to are they talking? Are they not talking? But you watch some of his movies and you're like, or anybody's movies, and you're like, that is an actor listening to direction. That's where that that expression came from. They weren't even acting, <laughs> but that's what you get when you have all the pieces. That clean single reminds me of a funny story. You know the actor Jeffrey Lewis? He's Juliet Lewis's father. He's like in all the Clint Eastwood movies. Okay. Which way but loose. He's kind of like a stocky. I mean, he passed away a couple of years ago, but he, I remember he made like, he was good friends with Clint Eastwood, obviously. He made like seven or eight movies. He goes, here's my piece of advice. Whenever I was in a scene with Clint, I'd make sure I put my hands on his shoulder. Couldn't cut me out that way. Oh my God. <laughs> talking, he, he was a real character. That's great. Body. This is absurd that this is what it made me think of, but um, uh, Ziegler, I think it's Jack Ziegler. Yeah, Jack Ziegler, the New Yorker cartoonist. If he had a, a New Yorker cartoon in an office and there's a lot of white space above them, he'd draw a lamp on the ceiling because that way they couldn't crop it down to be a tiny cartoon. <laughs> so he'd make it a big cartoon by putting a lamp. That's the hand That's on Clint's show. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk a little. We, we usually do. And they told me we have an hour and a half. Uh, so that means we have about 25 minutes or if you're loose. I've been, I've been so uh, isolated that talking to someone, I don't even talk on the phone. So it's like, well, not in person, but you're the first person I've talked to, not in person, in person in so long. I feel the same way. This podcast in this time has been a gift for me yeah. uh, because I get to do this and I have to do it. That's really helpful for me. If you and I were just like, let's hang out, we'd both cancel. You know what I mean? Like you'd find a way to be like, I can't just sit down with you. But that's the magic of a podcast. Let's record it. Let's have a good conversation with the urgency, knowing it's being recorded. It's really fun. Um, we always talk about... Uh, spirituality, religion, and all that sort of stuff. Um, were you raised with anything? No. My mom was super religious and always says, she grew up like, you know, I guess she went to a Catholic school. And I remember seeing pictures of her where she was surrounded by nuns. And she was like, I was going to be a nun. I'm like, well, <laughs> why do you weren't, I guess. <laughs> no, other than that, I think in, I never went to church or did any of that stuff. Yeah. It's like, wasn't in my life at all. And where where are you at now? Again, I don't want to get stuck in a place in, of projecting that somebody that deals in the shadow, you know, like likes exploring that, doesn't have some framework of the universe. Here's what I'm asking. Less religion, but we all woke up in this thing. <laughs> we can agree with that. We're all floating in infinity. We're in, we're in space right now. And consciousness yeah. is a crazy fucking thing. Oh, no, it's totally weird sometimes. Do you ever just have a moment where you, like, look at someone and you go, like, what is this weird thing with this face I'm looking at? What are we? Where, where, where are we? What the fuck is all this? Crap. That's I think that's me every morning. I go I stop thinking about it because I'm going to freak out. 
That's me too. Well, I, listening to the new record, the 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 prologue, I guess the the not song is that what you call it? Prologue? I don't know. <laughs> well, the the intro, but the album has a few of those breaks. There's songs, and then there's like a thirty forty second break. Um, uh, from that type of musicality, it's still musical, but the intro to the to the record, the new record is all about like the dissolving of the ego. You could either be explaining um, insanity, but it also occurred to me that you could be explaining sort of like a mystical experience when you vanish, but you're still there. It reminded me of psychedelics. It reminded me of what I've read about mystical experiences. And it it made me wonder. I mean, I, I am very much not a believer in anything, which sounds kind of like a weird thing to say, but, uh, Like, I really feel like this is what there is and that's all there is in in a way, you know, and, and and I don't know why people think any other way. And I just feel like, like, like this is kind of off topic, but you'll get what I'm saying. Like when people like, we want to get to Mars because we might find an amoeba. (laughs) A giant whale just jumped out of the ocean and you didn't look up from your phone. Here you fucking moron. That's you know, so funny. You just need it's like humans are so egotistical and mental. They have to attach so much significance to everything. And to out there specifically, not here, but elsewhere. Yeah, like out here, it's like nothing. If we found any creature that exists on Earth on another planet, people would lose their shit. It doesn't matter what like a spider, they go like, Oh my god, it's got eight legs. Yeah. Uh, but here it's like nothing is nothing. I mean, people don't care about anything. I just find that so funny. It's deeply profound. I think it was Dawkins, just uh, Richard Dawkins, yeah. posted something very similar where he's like, no one is marveling at a spider. Something that that can weave a web and catch something eight times its size. He was like, if there was a dog that could do that, you know, <laughs> or something bigger. But he's making the same point. And I'm not trying to trick you into being spiritual, but that is a very spiritual idea that this is all it is. And why are you looking elsewhere? It's like when people say, oh, we're stardust. I was like, yeah, but put another way. I know it's sort of trippy to think you and I are made of stars that exploded, but also stars are just us out there. It's the same elements out there. Like it's not special because it's out there. It's here too. Yeah. Like I was, uh, yeah. I mean, it's not, I mean, I find it weird when people like, oh, when I die, I'll go to heaven. And and what's this? Yeah. Like, you know, now, I mean, humans find a great way to ruin the earth. But if you get to an area that's not destroyed with mini malls and parking lots, like how much better could it be? Yeah. You know, or how much could better could anything? Why do you have to imagine that? Like, this is just some bullshit waiting room till I get to the real shit. You know, I mean. and that's when I'm really going to be awesome. And I'm like, I don't even, we don't even have to get into that. But I just, I are you kidding me, Rob? This is, I've said what you just said on the I, last episode I did. I'm like, you are an idiot. What are you going to go to heaven and suddenly you're like awesome? You're going to yeah. be the same idiot. And like, I don't know what people are going to be fucking spray painting walls and doing stupid shit and driving drunk. I mean, I don't know what you think <laughs> is happening somewhere else for you waiting. This is what, and I, I'm very happy to think like, this is what I get and that's it. Yeah, That's fine. There doesn't need to be any more of me any longer. Like, I think people just can't conceive of the fact that, well, I, I mean, I'm so amazing. I can't not live on forever. Like, we trust me, you're not that great. We can do it. That's anyway. you're you're ugh, 
You're so up my alley. We're getting mugged. I, the, 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 and I say this with love because I used to be like this, but the narcissism involved that Pete can't go anywhere. And uh, my homeboy Ramdas taught me that that's where a lot of psychosis comes. If you try to bring your ego into yeah. heaven, into the eternal, and he, it's actually in Be Here Now, it's really funny. I think if you did it on stage, it would get a laugh. Um, it's like if you're Bob Jones and you're sitting at the right hand of God and you're like, look at me, Bob Jones at the right hand of God, you'll snap. You'll go insane. Like Bob Jones doesn't belong in eternity. Like it can't make the journey into yeah. the infinite. Like you don't belong. And it's a fucking ego trip to say that you would. Um, so we're of one mind there, even though I might, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I, I just have always had this weird, I, I just, I'm very much an animal person. You know, mm. like, you know, like I know you're a vegan. So am I, but I've always thought this, I mean, people like, just look at animals and you can watch animals and go, that's what this is. That's you. If you weren't so full of yourself, Yeah, you know, they do their thing, they eat, they take a shit, they lay in the sun. They're like, this isn't bad. And then they get, man, eh, I'm hungry again. And, you know, and, but they're totally content and they're happy <laughs> and they're and, present. Yeah, and they're and they're very present, and they're always happy to see you, you know. And, and, and whereas people, there, I, I, I just the and I think when we, we went back to think like, oh, a spider, who cares? This most people don't care. They're taught that animals are disposable garbage from the moment they're little kids, and I think that once you've already taken that step, the rest, you, how do you deal with the rest? Like, That's then, right. what, what are we supposed to care about? Going into outer space and finding, uh, you know. Other animals, creatures that you're suddenly going to care about. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, you already get everything here, and you already don't give two shits. You're just happy to kill and destroy everything. So, fuck it, man. The rest of the universe doesn't need us going there and ruining it. That's so fucking right. I have you heard the Tol- it's Tolstoy? I think uh, he says, as long as we have slaughterhouses, we'll have battlefields. Yeah, it. I think there's an extreme weight. When I, I I don't mean to get to uh, whatever, who cares? But when a bus drives by with a quarter pounder of cheese on it, and I see that, there is a cognitive dissonance going on where you can love animals, you can love your dog, but you know that a million animals an hour are being consumed, not even killed, but just consumed. And that is one of the, that's sort of what we're addressing, I think, in metal, in horror, in the stuff is going like, can we face some of this? Like, I my I won't say who it is, but somebody in my family who's religious and eats a lot of meat, and he kind of likes to talk to me about that. He's like, well, God gave us dominion over the animals, and I was like, this is a very strange mythology to make sense of factory farming. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like what are we doing? Like, let's let's test that theory. I'm going to put you in the cage with the gorilla. <laughs> and we'll see who has dominion over who. <laughs> That's why when people are like you see these teeth, they're ready to eat meat like they're a lion. I'm like, oh, yeah. You see you these teeth? <laughs> here's a lion, and here's you. Go at it. If you can kill that lion with your bare hands and eat it, then I'm. I will not complain. Yeah, and it's. But I think it has. It, it takes a psychological toll on all of us. Uh, even even you know leather and 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 just knowing the suffering that's involved in our food. I, I have a, a respect for Native American culture and the mythology that they had to try and um, 
have a symbiosis with with the animals that they were hunting. Yeah, and, and that even speaks to the human need for some story, some framework to make sense that life feeds on death. Right. That that that's really what's going on. Life feeds on death. I, I would even say a tomato would rather live than than have me eat it. I understand it's not sentient, but like we need stories and we need a framework to go. What is this? That I just go around feasting things, shoving them in my face, shitting them out my ass. If I'm Gigi Allen, I'm throwing them at the at the crowd. I know, and there's nothing worse to like I, some, the the waste of like you go. Okay, well that was. Well, I I really think it's just too like. Um, we are so brainwashed from the moment we're born to not know how things really are. Mm. You ask most kid, like a little kid, like is eating a hamburger. Do you know what that is? You'll go a hamburger. I go, I yeah. know, but you know, no, like you, I mean, I was the same. I'm not saying I'm any better than anyone else, it, but as you start uncovering the layers, you're like, Oh God, you know, and it, it never stops. And especially if you go, Oh, you didn't even eat your food. So now it's going in the trash. So, this animal that was happily living its life was killed. So you could do nothing but literally throw it in the garbage. Right. It's just so weird. And, and I, and I went to another, you know, I understood this even more once, you know, we, we bought a farm. We live on a farm too, not just in LA. And we started getting rescued farm animals because mm. even then you still think like, well, I mean, you know, the goat's not going to be like my dog. And then they're exactly the same. Wow. They act exactly the same. Like they want your attention all the time. They cry when they see you. They come running up. They're excited. It's like the same. The look in their eye is exactly the same. Yeah. You know, it, it, like, cause you still, even though you're vegan, you still might not have never had a cow before, you know, you just don't know. Right. And then you get around a cow and you're like, wow, this is just like my dog, except he weighs 3000 pounds, <laughs> you know, yes, yes. on the couch, but he's like super sweet. And I think that's just because, you know, they have to hide all that from us. Right. I it's, mean, why would they make it illegal to film in, in the factory farms and slaughterhouses if it was cool what was going on? You would right. go, hey, come on in and see the way we slit their throats and then thrash around in front of all the other animals. It's hilarious. Right, right. And, and, and you must have done this before where you tell somebody like, and they're like, I just don't want to think about it. And I just don't want to think about it is the most aggravating phrase to me. Mm. You know, because that's how that, well, you just, cause it doesn't hurt you, right. you know, like it doesn't have to be animals. It could be other races or something, but when people just don't want to think about it, it's so weird, you know, like, Oh, yeah. I'm not, it's all good for you. Excuse me for uh, letting you know that somebody else's life is fucked. Right. You know, <laughs> I mean, sorry. There was a, I think it's a Ted talk. Um, it's called carnism and she makes a similar point. It, it's the same points you're making. Yeah. It really, it's my vegan refresh uh, I'm not a perfect vegan, and when I want to get more perfect, I watch that video again. Yeah. And it's not its not um, just shocking footage. She's sort of making the point, like, here's a lasagna, and it's like, what if I told you it was Golden Retriever? And, of course, everybody's like, ugh. And then she sort of likens it to other social issues that at other times people were like, well, that's just the way it is. And they're like, she sort of posits that later in the future – they'll look back on our time and be like, well, that was just one of the cognitive dissonances. I don't think people that eat animals don't love animals. I think they do love animals. And then that's what I'm saying. The the quarter pounder with cheese goes by, or, or let's say they have the potential to really evolve in that love. And I think you have to tell some pretty heavy lies that are, that are weighing you down, that are making you 
Unhappy. Well, it's like, what is I always say? The biggest lies we tell are the ones we tell ourselves. Mm. And, you know, there's a multi-billion dollar industry to convince us that, you know, good cheese comes from happy cows and your happy meal has a toy. And like, we're just bred this nonsense from the day we're born. Right. And most, you know, when I was a kid growing up, vegetables and stuff tasted like shit. <laughs> because you're getting this really crappy processed, like it wasn't until I was older and I got a, an organic fresh tomato that you go like, this is what a fucking tomato tastes like. Yeah. It's a tasteless pink thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Strawberries have actual flavor. I don't have to dip them in sugar to stomach eating them. You know, there's a, there's, you know there's, it's not just factory farming of animals, factory farming of vegetables and stuff that are just like, tastes like garbage. I understand why people yeah. think it's awful. Because would- tastes like shit if it's you know badly cooked or stuff of course i was watching the west wing and and the amount that like plot lines that were like well we have to keep the dairy farmers happy we have to keep the beef farmers happy and i was like it would be interesting i don't know if we could have a vegan president you know like that's like a pretty that because talk about the the interest that you would have like that beef i think is one of our biggest um out exports. Yeah. Don't they? The first thing they do is go to like Iowa or something and have to go to a county fair and eat a corn dog to show that they're yeah regular folk. But that that's the that's the mythology we're in. Like even the manliness. I, I think it's really funny that eating uh, meat and dairy actually has negative effects on your virility, on like sexual performance. And I'm like, of course it does. It's like some of the thickest most unblood flowy stuff. Let's say an erection is a blood flow thing and you're eating a block of blue cheese. It might be hard to get your dick hard. Um, It's a soft cheese to begin with. Uh, (laughs) But like that is, that is the Clint Eastwoodness. Like you're a man. If you eat something that you didn't kill, that you never saw that you couldn't kill. Uh, Stephen King is good at that in that um, he had a really jarring thing in that John F. Kennedy thing that he did. It's called 1122 something and the year that Kennedy was assassinated. Um, anyway, James Franco's character goes to a slaughterhouse and they give him a sledgehammer to kill one of the cows. It's the way they used to do it. And he can't do it. And I was like that, that's sort of where I'm at. I understand I ate meat most of my life and I understand that I couldn't do it. And I understand wanting to fit in and I understand all the, all the media and, and the, and the national message and stuff. So I, I don't want to sound like I'm condemning. I understand I was, I, most of my life I was that, but it does feel good to kind of opt out. I think, I think that's, yeah, that's I mean, it's, it's hard too. Cause you, you, you know that it's done good for your life. So you want to tell people, but people I've come to the conclusion with anything. And I'm sure you have to like, nobody wants to be told anything. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like trains, planes, and automobiles. You're going the wrong way. How does he know where we're going? You know, <laughs> nobody wants to be told fucking anything. You know, like, they'd rather, you're like, it's just weird because people will be sick and they keep going to the docs. I'm like, you know, if you stopped eating that, you might feel better. Hey, 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 hey. Right. You know, I, there's, this, there's this weird, I, don't, I think it's a, it might be a drug commercial or something which is the only commercials that are on TV, but commercial <laughs> we're like, what would you do if you only had to do one push-up? What would you do if your doctor said you only had to eat one piece of broccoli? And I'm like, they wouldn't do it is what would happen. Wow. That would be one broccoli too many for most people. You know, it's just funny. Like, it's like really weird. Most like, cause saying you're vegan gets really extreme hatred most of the time. Sure. 
but it, I, I think it is. Sometimes I'll post if I post something on Instagram and it, I can literally post like, "This was a delicious sandwich." Stop fucking preaching at me, you fucking piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Saying that anything that about you. Well, it's 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 what I call nobody tells me what to do. Another word for that is is perceived liberty, right? Yeah, right. I stopped drinking, and the way it's been three years, and the way that I did that was I just sort of recalibrated, or I had my brain recalibrated. I didn't do it to seeing that not drinking was actually liberty, and drinking was actually buying into a system that told me yeah. that drinking was liberty. Yeah. But like when you tell somebody not to do something, it's smoking too. Yeah. I, I've never smoked, but it's like every cigarette. We did a monologue on my talk show about this. Every cigarette is a beacon that you light that says nobody tells me what to do. Yeah. And that feeling is actually the main hook of it. But you're you're saying something that I've had to learn the hard way many times over. I'm the sort of person that when I get interested in something, if it's an idea or or whatever, I want to tell everybody about it. And yeah. I've seen you can't really do it. And I couldn't really do it either. Like – I had to come about it naturally, but yeah. it can be frustrating, but you never know. Well, the good thing is, I mean, for all the people that would be like, fuck you, dude, like at shows, other fan, fans will come up and tell me that like they went vegan because of something I, they saw or I said and that it's really changed their life and they had this medical problem and now they don't. I mean, both my parents got cancer in their 60s and especially my mom, my mom really bad. And um, they, I convinced them both to go vegan and now they're in their eighties and wow. they're still here. And I don't think they would be because one, it's one crazy thing. Like my mom was like, had to have an operation. They had to remove part of her intestine or something. And she's in the hospital recovering. And, you know, she's 80, she's very frail. And um, they bring her a sloppy Joe to eat. Yeah. I'm like, First of all, she said she didn't want anything with meat, and they uh, that this wouldn't go down good to someone for anyone. And you're just going to give it to an 80 year old woman who just had part of her intestine removed or something. Yeah, yeah. And then I, t- I remember while waiting for her, I went down to the cafeteria with my dad in the hospital. I was like, "This is literally the worst food you could ever eat in this hospital." Like yeah. they went out of their way to fry literally everything in here. Yeah, it, I, I don't know where we got the idea that white bread and Jello. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, what is going on here? Uh, but let let your food be your medicine and your medicine be your food is yeah. is part of the Hippocratic. It's not the oath, but it's Hippocrates. And we've completely lost that. I, I went, I went, I, I don't know if it's controversial to talk about the Gers, the Gersh, Gershon, Gershon method, but they've had a lot of success when it comes to either helping people with cancer or whatever it might be. And it is what you're what you're thinking. It's like a huge. It's a lot of raw foods. Cancer is such a hot topic, a hot issue, and I understand there's a lot of um, emotion there for many many people. But maybe less emotional is um, type two diabetes. They did this thing. I think it's on YouTube. You can. It's a movie called The Cure for Diabetes, and it's basically they went to this place and they fed them uh, a lot of raw vegan food, yeah. and a lot of the people actually reversed their diabetes. And they were like, I didn't even know that was possible. I understand there's skeptics out there. Please check that out. Don't take my word for it. But it was interesting to me. Well, a really good movie is Forks Over Knives. Have you watched that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just all those people on all those drugs that they thought that was the rest of their life. And then they're all, even for myself, like there was a point, I, I mean, I've been like vegetarian since high school, but you know, it was like a decade ago that I went vegan. 
but because I, I would still eat cheese. But I was always in good shape. I always worked out, but I would always have high blood pressure. And I was like, why? How can I have fucking high blood pressure? You know, mm. I stopped eating cheese, normalized instantly after a year. I mean, I wouldn't take medicine for it because it just seemed insane. And then it was completely went away. Yeah. That's really, I, I, I was actually just thinking about that. Blood pressure came up on something we were watching. And this is so embarrassing. But whenever I go to the doctor, I always have like the perfect blood pressure. And I'm always like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like trying to meditate and like get into a calm place, but really it's going to do what it's going to do. And, and he numbers, he can't believe <laughs> that's, that's you with the, with the microfilm. Yeah, I have go off to the bag. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to nail this, but I, it might be because I, I don't fuck with cheese. Yeah. It was really funny. Um, I, I have a, a little more disgusting version of that story. Um, <laughs> I had to get a, yeah, you because know, like I'm 56, so 50, you got to get a colonoscopy. So I got a colonoscopy. And after it was all done, the doctor was like, I got to tell you, that was the cleanest fucking colon I've ever seen. No shit. And then I go, well, I'm a vegan. And he, first thing he says, like, I don't think that has anything to do with it. What the fuck do you think? What the food going through my body is the only thing going through my body. I'm not drinking fucking Drano, dude. Oh, my I mean, God. like he immediately he dismissed it before I finished the sentence. Yeah. I was like, I, I get it. I've run, I've run into that attitude myself, but but maybe the last point I'll make about this is like not that I'm bored. I I, I love this stuff. Oh, but everyone's tuning out. I'm sure. Well, it's the end of the show. Thank <laughs> you for joining us. Please uh, uh, get some of the Alpha Brain. I don't know. I don't know who the sponsor is. Um, but um, when it, there's no nutritional training to be an MD, yeah. and I think because of that, it, there can be a hostility there. Where they're just oh, like, yeah, yeah. fucking get out of here. That's why I mentioned Hippocrates. I'm like, the founding father of Western medicine, of medicine in general, the oath that we still take, he was the guy that was like, it's all your food. It's all your food. I mean, I, I'm not a believer in the medical industry because it's like, you know, every year we go get a physical just because, you know, I don't, because you should, I guess. And every time we go, me and my wife, I'm like, I'm sitting, I go, we're sitting in the waiting room, I go, Oh my God, everybody in this waiting room is bare minimum 300 pounds. And so is the staff. Mm-hmm. Every single one of the nurses or people working here, I'm like, this is really weird. But this yeah. is where you go to get your health checked with a yeah. bunch of people that look like three steps and they're going to have a heart attack. Mm. I just, because they're, they don't know any of that stuff. Yeah, they don't know. That, that's, that's a social responsibility issue. I would even say it's not their fault. Like people don't. No, when I the one I watched was um, fat, sick, and nearly dead, and then I did oh, a yeah. juice fast. Yeah, that's a good one. And I was like, this guy was on like every medicine, and then and then he did a juice. So I did a juice fast. I did a thirty day juice fast. I don't know how I did it, and that completely changed my life because it, yeah. it changed my palate. It yeah. made me actually crave. I, I I was drinking at the time. My joke on stage was I'm doing a juice fast, mostly fermented, but like I would get drunk and I would want to eat like. Uh, tomatoes like i really wanted to like i would like make drunkenly make a cucumber like salad or something it was so weird because my body got the message it was like you want where the nutrition is where where the stuff that gets you high that's what i always used to say a juice fast will get you high that's what they don't tell you just meaning it it, it will elate you it will make you feel good (laughs) well it's kind of like that movie supersize me i mean there is stuff in the food that fucks with you Right. And cheese especially. I can't remember what it's called, but there was this something in cheese. What casein, is that what it's called? And I would crave it so bad. 
Mm. About two weeks after I stopped eating it, I would be craving it. And then after two weeks, like, I, I was like, I could give a shit if I ever eat cheese again. Yeah, you detoxed. Yeah, it, it was just, but it was in my system. And because I, I would, I would be like, why am I obsessing about cheese? Yeah. It's like the, you know, the world's crumbling. And then it once it was like a <laughs> heroin addict with cheese or something. The world's uh, crumbling and yet I'm worried about cheese. Yeah. That's so funny. Uh, you know, you sometimes just going to get shit out of your system, but you know, it's like, it, it's like we said, paying your dues on stage. There's <laughs> a sucky part of everything. Yeah, that's right. Part. Do you have a, a, a vice now? Is there something that you do to, I, I'm always curious if people have done psychedelics. I'm always curious if people have a little weird cheat behavior. <laughs> no, I mean, I, the reason I would smoke pot all the time, except it makes me want to eat. Yeah. So I don't want to eat. <laughs> I got to stay in shape to do my career. So I don't smoke it basically, but that's the only reason. Yeah. Where I'll be like, hmm, marshmallows. This is the greatest food I've invented. <laughs> I only have five bags of these in the house. Um, really the only reason. Uh, no, I don't really, I mean, no, I mean, at this stage, I probably drink way too much coffee. I don't know if several pots a day is too much. And I don't know if there's a downside to that. <laughs> I guess there is a downside. I hit a point usually sometime in the day where I'm like, I, now I have a headache and a stomach ache, so I guess I should put this last cup down. I, I didn't I, get anything through this interview because I knew I'd have to get up and take a whiz. That's hilarious. That's me too. Again, I'm 41, but now I'm like, watch it, Pete. That's new for me is to not be able to talk to somebody for two hours without wanting to pee if I'm not careful. But it is amazing because like, I'm 56 now, and I, I assume at some point stuff's going to come crashing down. But th- I can still do everything I ever could do. That's like great. 25, nothing is falling apart yet. I love that. And I, this is something I like to ask. Do you feel older? Like talking about consciousness, your consciousness is the same. Do you go around kind of forgetting that you're. No, I was. I no, I, I think because I always seemed old and grouchy, even when I was younger, people would say that. So like, I don't feel like, like sometimes I'll see, like I have people, friends that are much older than me and they'll be like, man, I still feel like I'm 15. I'm like, you feel like you're 15? You look like fucking Gandalf. You feel like you're 15? Christ, I mean, You'd be lucky if you feel like you're 60 at this point. Um, <laughs> I can relate to that. Like I said, when I was 14, I felt like a 40-year-old. I've yeah, grown I into my like personality. A, I was always like a humorless sort of old man. So I feel just about the same. I love that. I was young and grumpy, and now I can be old and grumpy. I love that. I don't feel like grumpy anymore. And one one more question. We sort of talked about this, but like you don't have to do what you're doing. You know what I mean? Like you, you could take it easy for the rest of, of, of your life and you're putting out this album. What, what are you, what, what is the mission statement? <laughs> what you know, is the funny, drive? <laughs> it's funny that you say that because I, I have been thinking for the first time ever, like, do I just want to keep doing it? Mm. Because it sounds really weird, but like, I feel like I've accomplished everything I dreamed of trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Not that you can't, you know, like once you get to make a bunch of movies and make a bunch of records and do a bunch of tours and you're like, well, these are the things that I thought I would never get to do. And now I've done them. Do I just keep making more records mm-hmm. keep making? And you do. And you always try to make them as good as possible. But yeah, I don't know. I, uh, for the first time ever, I've kind of thought like, I guess I could stop mm. because at some point you're going to stop. And, you know, no one ever seems to stop. 
doesn't matter if they're an athlete or, or a rock, you know, everybody keeps going until it's just like you, dude, you got to stop. <laughs> Someone <laughs> stops it. going to kill you in the ring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't feel like I want to stop. I still have fun, but I, I guess I feel like I, I don't need it. Like I don't need to prove anything more to myself. And I had a, I had a really big moment about this a um, couple years ago. Well, 2007 was the moment actually. Like I was always like, oh, I want to have a number one movie. I want to have a number one movie. Like you just set some crazy goal. And then when I made Halloween, it was number one. Mm. And it was like number one. And it was like broke the box office record for that weekend and this, that, and the other thing. But I wasn't totally happy with the movie because I made the movie with the Weinsteins and they would interfere so much. They drove me fucking crazy. So I realized that, oh, it was just the process of being happy with the work that the, the being number one meant nothing to me. I didn't give a shit. I was still pissed. Like, you know, I wasn't, ha- I wasn't 100% happy with the movie, so I couldn't celebrate. Like, I didn't even, I was so not, I didn't go to the rap party. I didn't go to anything. I, like, I didn't do any celebration. I was just like, eh, fuck it. That's so profound. Yeah, and I just knew in that moment it didn't matter to me. Because for the word times, I'd be like, well, the plan would be you do this movie, this movie, then you try to land Spider-Man. And after Spider-Man, you want to you wanna be on that short list to direct a Star Wars movie or something like it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was like, then I realized I don't give a shit about any of that. You know, I like the weird stuff down here. This is what I like. Dude. That's what I want to do. We're back to stars and finding a spider on another planet, which, by the way, listen carefully. You can listen to two men talk casually about veganism for 10 minutes if you get the free wisdom bomb of a spider (laughs) on another planet would be the most interesting thing. That's a spider on another planet when you need to look at the spiders that are here. And that and that's what you your breakthrough. You were going, oh, if I if I could only get to Mars and find an amoeba, you're like, what the fuck do I need that amoeba for? It the real juice is authenticity in your in your process. Yeah, envisioning something and making it. I think this popped up now and again on your show. It's like it's so easy to never be satisfied and never be happy in this mm-hmm. business. Mm-hmm. And I know, and I'm friends with people that I know that aren't like that. I'm like, dude, you you were making $20 million a picture. You were number one, number one. And you seem more miserable with every year that goes, but like, you know, like, Oh like yeah. I, I'm not talking, I'm not talking about Tom Cruise, but I look at Tom Cruise and I go like that quest to always be on the very top must be so fucking exhausting. I you couldn't nothing left agree more. You can let your chest hair come in. Cause we know it's gray. We know your hair is gray. It's fine. <laughs> You know, you don't have to fucking break your neck doing stunts. And, but, but I don't, I really, maybe it's a Scientology thing. I don't understand, but yeah, no, something about this. And I thought that on, on my last movie, because, um, you know, the budget wasn't as much as I needed. Then one day I was like, shut the fuck up. Someone just gave you millions and millions of dollars to essentially do whatever the fuck you want with no interference. This was the dream. And we're here right now. That's right. Fucking do it. That's right. Because sometimes movies are exhausting, and I'm sure like your show is, and you have to go, okay, I have to treat every scene like it's the most important scene in the movie. Because, you know, 18-hour days, drag on. You know, Sometimes you show up and you're just fucking punchy. Yeah, and, sure. And every time I see behind-the-scenes photos, I'm like, the actors look amazing. I'm like, look like Gollum. I'm all gray. <laughs> I'm like, why do I look gray compared to everybody else? <laughs> I'm like, <"That's> horrible. <laughs> 
I, I think that's so right on. Um, it's it, Eckhart Tolle. I don't know if you've ever fucked with Eckhart Tolle. No. He's wonderful. He makes that point. It's like, you think if I have the big house and the big career and I'm number one, um, I'll be good. And yeah. he's like, really, the secret is realizing that you're good right now. Like, you and I are good right now. I'm, I, I don't mean the story of Rob Zombie or the story of Pete. I just mean we're good right now. And that is heaven. That's going like everything's good. We're fine. And when you get the house and the career and you're number one, and I think the hungry ghost thing comes in, you got that pencil neck and the big belly, but you can't get anything in because as soon as you're number one, you're just worried about staying number one. Yeah. And and now you're worried about paying for that big house. Right. And the things you have to do to stay number one might be a bunch of horse shit. Yeah. And then you're like, fuck, my whole career is fucking horseshit now because I was so concerned with being number one. I stopped doing anything interesting or cool. Yeah. Because we all know the stuff that's huge is usually kind of like junky. Yeah, and sure. It's cooler is not as acceptable, you know. And sometimes there are people, you know, and it, you got to give it up. And Or there was a time where like, you know, you could have close encounters and you go, Fucking huge and fucking brilliant. You know, yeah, you see yeah. a huge movie, you go, this is the worst piece of shit I've ever suffered through. How yeah. does make literally a billion dollars? Yeah, it's a lonely feeling, right? Yeah, this is like <laughs> a bad TV show on an IMAX screen. Um, <laughs> and then you see some indie movie nobody saw and you go, this is so fucking brilliant. I want to blow my brains out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And sometimes you were talking about being in line to direct the new Star Wars. Sometimes it makes me, it can make me a little bit sad when somebody who makes something brilliant and then it does just sort of get them swept into a system. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to be involved in Star Wars too. So I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing the whole thing, but it's like, is it just the minor leagues or can they, can they do what um, Noah Baumbach or P.T. Anderson or Wes Anderson, all the Andersons are doing that they can, uh, keep doing what they love. Tarantino is another one where I'm like, that's a guy that I feel like when he was 18, he would have loved to make once upon a time in Hollywood. He's not, he's not going like, what do they want? He's just doing what he. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you just have to look at things too. Like, um, some people have really extraordinary careers like Tarantino or Tim Burton, where Mm -hmm. Tim Burton stayed quirky, weird, Tim Burton making little stop motion, Vincent film and working Mm -hmm. and then became this mega star. But that's like saying, like, look, man, I just want to be Paul McCartney. Is that too much to ask? <laughs> so sometimes there's just like, this, you know, there's like the pyramid and then there's the guy on top of the pyramid and there's a couple guys on his shoulders, too. You know, some people yeah. have incredibly extraordinary careers where they're just like, you know, like Jack Nicholson. Was there ever a time where I mean, he retired, basically. But was there ever a time where he wasn't in demand? Mm. You know, I mean, actors careers come and go. But like he was just, oh, yeah, if we can get there- there's those anomalies for sure. Right. I mean, and, and it's, uh, it, I mean, I guess you can try to be that person, but that's, that's kind of a weird one to, I can see it to be Tom Brady, man. <laughs> it's all I, want. Yeah, I think my, my dad would like it if I was Tom Brady. <laughs> um, I met, it was a great, uh, little moment in my life. I met Tom Brady at something. It was way before I had done anything. And it was so fun to tell my brother and my father, about how little it meant to me. <laughs> I have stories like that too. I mean, we're like at concerts, like sports guys will show up. Sure. Everybody's shitting themselves. And I'm like, oh, hey man, how's it going? Blah, 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 blah. And the person leaves, I go, who is that? And they'll go like, like that was fucking Derek Jeter jerk off. 
well, it wasn't Derek Jeter, but you know, like a yeah, yeah, the only the most famous fucking guy ever, or so, or like, or yeah. like a country person will come and hanging backstage, and like, and then they'll leave. I go, who was that? And they'll name someone who's like, you know, beyond mega huge. I'm like, I don't know who they are. Right. Like, so I think weird when you don't know, like. That's how it was with me and Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers did this podcast. He's the quarterback for Green Bay, or he was. I don't know where he, I think he's still the quarterback for Green Bay. But that's my point. I think one of the reasons why he and I get along is because I don't care. I think it's amazing. Don't get me wrong. I'll get real. I love a sports movie. I love a highlight clip. I just don't, I don't get into it. A highlight clip. I love a highlight clip. I'll watch a YouTube clip. Just still down to just like a highlight. (laughs) <laughs> I wish I could have a highlight clip. Some of the passes he's thrown. Remember, will... remember those? I mean, you probably don't because you're you're too young. But they used to sell classical records on TV, and they would say, "With without the unwanted passages, ah! they just got like dun 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 dun." Like you get oh like oh my they god, boring parts of Beethoven's Fifth. And then oh <laughs> my god, <laughs> that's that's even worse than being a ringtone somehow. <laughs> Any of the hits? Have you ever seen a ghost, an alien, Bigfoot? Have you ever almost died? Um, I've never seen a ghost. I've tried really hard. Never worked. Never saw Bigfoot. That would be fucking great. Yeah. Um, see, I don't believe in any of that stuff, even though I want to so bad. I'm the first guy who was like, let's go to Loch Ness. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, but uh, almost died a bunch of times as a kid by just being an idiot. Where you go like, Let's ride our bikes down this hill blindfolded. No. Intersection and a car just goes vroom. And you're like, I'm like one second from being a dead kid just because I'm an idiot. Whoa. Like that. That's a nightmare. Well, when you're a kid, you don't think about it. You're not really thinking you cheated death because you don't think you're going to die. So it's more like younger day. Now I'm the type of guy who I feel like, it was like, let's jump in the pool. I'm like, I'm going to be that weird guy who somehow breaks his neck jumping, jumping in the pool. Yeah, yeah I know. I'll just I... here. <laughs> it's safer over here. I'll put a squib on that guy and we'll have him die. I, I, yeah, I pretend you know, I've done a bunch enough stuff where I've thought to myself, that could have been really bad. Like one time um, I went in and I saw it on film too. And I was like, holy mama. Um, I went out into the crowd. It was an outdoor show. And they had part of the crowd was up a little higher and they had fencing and they're all rushing against the fencing and the fencing collapsed and the whole crowd went like, Foomp. Oh no. Like, and missed me by like an inch. And I was oh, just standing there. I'm like, I would have just been under a pile of 200 people, but I just happened to be one inch further enough away. Whoa. And I was just like, eh. And I just kept going. But like, you know, that's like one of those moments where I, I could have hit you, but. I really, really, I was, I spent a semester in uh, Israel. I studied in Jerusalem. And when I was leaving, I was at the Tel Aviv airport and I'm giving the woman my uh, passport to check me into the flight. And an alarm goes off and she dives under the desk. <laughs> and I stood there and I, the literal thought I had was, come on, this isn't a movie. And I'm like, <laughs> I can just see you leaning over the counter. Can I have a window seat? <laughs> That's how I casual the aisle and I don't want this. Now I would have jumped over and dove under too, because you understand this is the real world. But when I was 20, 21 years old, I was just like, what are you afraid of? I'm, I'm the kid in Haverhill on the, on the bike with the blindfold. Like I just thought everything would be fine. Yeah. I mean, when I lived in New York, when I first moved there, there was a lot of incidences like that, that I would get in the middle of where I remember one time sitting on St. Mark's place 
with my friend. It was like middle of the night. We're eating pizza, and these two guys are fighting in the middle of the street. One guy has a machete. Oh my god! And do we think like we better get the fuck out of here? No, we're just like watching it like it's on TV. That's so New York. Yeah, that was that was yeah. everything. I when I moved to New York, it wasn't. It might not have been St. Mark's place, but it was right. It was in the Village. And I was sitting there and there was a fight and everybody just watched like exactly yeah. what you're saying, eating pizza. And I was like, shouldn't we get out of here? It's the great Seinfeld bit. When you're in a cab, somehow it's all happening on TV. <laughs> yeah, it's like and, uh, guys it's, running by, pulling guns, all this stuff. And you're just like, huh, that guy's got a gun that's standing right next to me. Wow. But your brain's not thinking like, well, why don't you get the fuck out of there, idiot? Does your work, forgive me if you've gotten this, these types of questions, but with I haven't design- gotten any of these types of questions. Oh, good. <laughs> I actually, my real hope is that you don't feel like you're being interviewed because I feel like we're just talking. Well, no, but- I love, I mean, I do love, I really like your podcast for the fact that it's long and it's not, it, it is a talk because one of the great shows that went off, I used to love watching Bob Costas. Oh, sure. Because he would just have someone and it would, you know, I remember one time I'm, don't forget what you're going to say because I'm. I won't. He had like Audrey Meadows on from the Honeymooners. Uh huh. I was like, well, how interesting could this be for an hour? And it was like the most fascinating hour of television <laughs> I've ever watched. <laughs> he let her really tell these really interesting stories about Jackie Gleason, and that's so gone now. Like now, yeah. she would have been and had to get up and rap or fucking drink, do shots or something on the right. Podcast play a weird ping pong game. Yeah. That, that's, that's, I'm with you. Podcasts have become that one safe place. It's like the highest fi thing, meaning it's the height of technology. It's the internet. It's, it's iTunes or whatever you want to say, but it's also like the most low fi thing in the world. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're, you're in a cabin. I feel like I'm sitting in a cabin and uh, you just, you just talk. And for some reason, that's what interests me. So I'm glad you, uh, you feel the same. This is, this is the area that maybe you get. Is that when it comes to death, what are your feelings about death? You deal with death. Your music, it's not death metal, but it has like a, that's a different, that's a different tempo. Uh, yeah. but, but it has like a feeling of like, let's, Alice Cooper too. Marilyn Manson is an act you get compared to. Meaning, let's look at death. Let's not deny it. Let's look at it. What, what do you make of that? Is that something important to you? I think that, I don't have a death obsession like, you know, like like a like a Woody Allen character or something. Yeah. But I think as a kid, I was always a very very drawn towards dark material. Not I mean when I, as a little kid, like like my mom had the book Helter Skelter whatever year that came out. I was probably 5 and I remember looking at the pictures and it, and they had the crime scene photos but they were blocked out and thinking like, man, I wish I could see what the dead bodies really looked like. Mm. You know, I don't know why, you know, I'm like, why? I think that I'm not just saying this to make you feel better. That's normal. The first funerals you go to, you want, you want, like, why do we have wakes? Why do we have wakes? You want to see the body. That's, yeah, I, that's mean, I, I guess it's like, closure. why do you stop and look at a car crash? Because there's a, there's a safety to looking at it and knowing it's not your car you're looking at, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't have a fear of death and an obsession with it. And in fact, the, sometimes these days, as, I think when you're young, you're like, oh, my God, I got to be here forever. But as you get older, you think like, you know, I by the time I get to 80, I'll be like, it, I'm good. I, yeah. I did enough stuff. Yeah. You see people that are like, I don't know, some people just live forever. I mean, uh, like Kirk Douglas, but like, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to be like clinging like I, I need another day. I need it. <laughs> 
Well, that's the, that's the nurse. I forget who said this. It might've been Alan Watts, but it was something about, again, the narcissism. When you die, what you're literally doing uh, in a, in the world of matter is you're making room. You're yeah. letting your matter be used for somebody new. So he sort of turns that into a story being like, when you're done being the universe, being interested in itself, get out of the way. Because what is a baby but the most in- – my baby <laughs> runs to everything. You want to talk about a dog that's happy to see you. She is happy to do everything except get in her car seat. But you know what I mean? Like she's about it. And when you die, there can be an attitude of like we, we hope. This is why we value a long life, I think, partly, is you're like, yeah, I've had enough dinners. You know what I mean? Like Chelsea Peretti said, I, I, it's a great bit. I had a baby because I had had enough dinners. You know what I mean? Like at a certain point, it's time to move on. Yeah. I mean, I, when people always say, like, what do you think happens when you die? And I go, you know, I can only go by what I think is logical. And that is like you fall down <laughs> and you would just turn to maggots and go into the earth and mm. like tree would grow. Mm-hmm. Like that's all that makes sense to me. Like it would be like what happens when a coyote dies. We don't know about it. We're not watching it. But you know, people have to, of course, put you in a box and have a parade and make a big <laughs> thing out of it because as always, we're so special that the world can't live without us. Right. But, um, you know, if it, you know, if it was just the reality of it, we're just mulch for the next thing to grow. Right. Or mulch is sort of not to criticize. It's sort of negative. Or we're just a piece of a never ending flow that is the cosmos. You have to drop dead to fertilize the next thing that'll grow. I mean, meaning whatever this is, it's moving forward and you're a part of it. And even in your death, you're a part of it. (laughs) Like that's that's, like, I always wonder what people are, if they really think they go to heaven and like, you know, aren't, you know, auntie Jane and uncle Bill are there waiting and everybody's waiting. I'm like, that would be, that would suck. Yes. I mean, I wouldn't be like, so all the pets I ever owned are there now. I have like 400 dogs and a thousand goldfish and there's dinosaurs and civil war soldiers. I mean, what the fuck's going on up there? You know, and what version of me came back? The hundred year old version? Yeah, that's it. Oh, and what version of your, of your personality? I mean, who you were when you were 15 or who you were. It's, I, I mean, you've got a real comedian's brain. I... Bill Burr has that great bit about like heaven doesn't sound like heaven. He did it brilliantly. But I mean, that is the beginning of the questioning similar to veganism where you just go like, wait, what? Because they told me heaven was sort of like being in church. Like you just praise God all day. And then I was like, what is this? brutal. What is this God? What is this idea of God that he's just like, now that I have you all here, just talk about how great I am. It, It was like a very... I was like, I don't even really like church, if I'm being honest. We're just gonna and doing anything forever. I've said this a million times, but I'm going to say it to you because I want to hear you what your thoughts. <laughs> Alan Watts says, if you could do anything forever, just feel an orgasm feeling, right? And it, and it just keeps crescendoing. How many years would you do that yeah. before you would push a button that says my girlfriend leaves me or something happens? Like you want you want drama, you want a story, you want a rainy day, you want. A, a fence to fall over and almost hit you. You don't just want an ambrosia enema while you get a blowjob. Like you don't. Like no, it, it gets boring. I mean, and it, it it just it just does. Yeah. I mean, and it's that's why. Like, I'm always amazed. When it seems like people want to do something forever. Yeah. 
like even if it's the greatest thing in the world, it's just like, isn't there a point where you just feel like I've done it? Yeah, you that's know? right. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe because they don't think about it. So like if they retire from playing a sport, they're like, well, now what the fuck do I do? Oh Life insurance God. and commercials or something? You know, I, I don't know. One, one of the drivers on crashing every day I'd get in the van uh, his name was well. I don't want to say his name in case this embarrasses him. But every morning he said, "What? How many days left he had to retire?" And we both sort of knew it's not. It might not work. You know what yeah. I mean? He'd tell me about what he wanted to do, and I was like, "My dad is thinking of retiring. I have the same uh, concern for him." I'm like, "I, you gotta. I don't know. You can't just sit around." When people romanticize sitting in a bath reading a book, right? That's pretty great. But usually that's at the end of a long day or that's at the end of a long journey. And now you've, yeah. you've gotten the bath. Like when you're just in a bath and that's, and that's what your day says, bath. Yeah. Now it's a torture. Like you don't like the bath anymore. What I'm saying is what you said is it's this. Rob, I agree. I'm a deeply spiritual person, but I agree with you. It's this. It's not an error that you're here and it's not a mistake and it's something to be enjoyed. And heaven and hell are states of consciousness. It's how you're interacting with this. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like if you just went to someone and you go, I now have evidence. This is all you get. Mm. A lot of people might think like, shit, man, I better fucking get moving here. That's right. I, uh, I got 10 years left. You know, like uh, people really do. I mean, that's how I've always, I, I, I fear boredom and having nothing to do. I feel like every second needs to be important. Mm. I'm doing because, you know, I don't know. I've just always been like that. And I, but I guess the change for me would be like, I wouldn't feel, I would probably still want to keep doing things. And, I, and I've noticed that like, this is what I'm projecting onto someone like David Lynch. He really kind of stopped making Hollywood movies or playing that game, but still make short films and paint. So he never stopped. Mm-hmm. He just got tired of that. And I understand that feeling because you get tired of, that mm-hmm. that's brag. you know the the two years of fucking horseshit so you can have 30 days of shooting that are fun <laughs> this fucking scale is not really great i mean finding like you're talking about you want to have every minute be important what i'm learning is that there's a way to sit and do nothing and it feels really important. I can't do it all day, but that that's that sort of reminds me of what you said of David Lynch. It's like let's find a way to do what we're doing yeah. fully and not worry about it's in the book it's in the Tao Te Ching too. It's like do your work and be done with it, but do everything and be done with it. Just just do it and flow into the next thing. I guess I always feel like I need new information going in my head. Yeah. Like like I always I like taking baths, like I'll work out and I'll take a bath because I'm just fucking beat. But then I will be watching an episode of Kojak while I'm in the tub <laughs> or Space 1999. I can't just lay there. I have to be ingesting something. Yeah. Well, that's you that's know, I, the Rob Zombiness. It's all yeah, right. I, I guess some people meditate and stuff, and and they can get with that. But I I, I can't do that type of stuff. Well, I mean, someday. I, I'm not saying this just to make you. Uh, it's not just to serve you. It's like. You're Rob Zombie being Rob Zombie, <laughs> and it's okay. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, we can't all be si- – picture a world where we're all sitting on cushions. Uh, nothing's happening. I want Rob telling me about Kojak because it makes me laugh. Here it is coming into service. 
Yeah, and um, I think I wonder. You know, this it might just be a physical thing too, because I got hit in the head when I was a kid with a baseball, and the second I got hit in the head, one of my ears went like bing and started ringing really loud and okay. never stopped. This is like fifty years ago. Tinnitus. Yeah, but it's like it just it was like someone turned on a switch. And Baseball was, induced tinnitus. <laughs> yeah, the second it hit, the second it hit my head, something broke in my ear. Oh hit god! Head, and um, for a while I couldn't hear, um, and now I have it from rock music. So I quiet makes me insane. Mm. So I think that's probably why. Like I can't sleep unless the TV's on. I can't do. I I can't not have sound. So that's probably that probably has more to do with it than me. Like I need to know the next Kojak episode plotline immediately. I think it's more. Right. Do you, do you know? I'm first of all, I'm sorry to hear that. And do you know what note it is? <laughs> <laughs> it's very high pitched, um, but I don't know. No, it's just it's like uh, you got to get to a piano. This might be informing your whole career. You're like, it feels like you should be like, like it feels like it's a kitchen appliance that's got a high pitched sound going or something. Sure, you know. Sure. And I don't know. It, almost any sound will mask it, except for you know silence. Sound of silence. I love that. I'm in a Garfunkel joke there somewhere. <laughs> well, Rob, I've really enjoyed this. I want to, because we do get a little deep, we talk about the heavy stuff and all that. Um, I like to ask people if they can remember a time where they laughed really, really hard. Um, it doesn't have to be a great story. Maybe you were a kid. Maybe somebody fell down. Maybe somebody farted. It's usually pretty simple, but if you were crying laughing. People falling then- down is a tough one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That, <laughs> um, well, I think I mentioned the ventriloquist doll thing because that was the last time I remember laughing out loud because I'm one of those people that will be like not really – I'm a terrible audience. Like I won't really be – like inside I'm like, this guy is fucking hilarious, but there's nothing. Oh, that's that's a comedian. That's Very what we internal. do. Very internal. <laughs> but like that was the first time I – you know, I just like – it took me so by surprise I burst out laughing. Oh, uh, that's great. Something uh, – God, this is really, really lame, but uh, it's always stuck in my head. I remember when I went to see, uh, is it, yeah, Bruce Almighty, mm. Jim Carrey. And there's that one scene where he overtakes Steve Carell, the newsman, and Steve Carell just starts talking gibberish on the air. <laughs> I remember that. I just remember laughing in, I, in the theater so hard I couldn't stop. And I never feel like that usually. Yes, yes. And I don't know why that just something about that, that moment in that movie. I, and I don't even remember if I even liked the movie. I just could. Yes. I've gone back and watched it again, but I just remember for some reason. You know what? Maybe the cake is from the store, but maybe it was good cake because that's the broad movie. But I mean, who cares? It was funny. It's that, it was just that one moment. And we just, I don't know. I lo- for some reason. I love when it's from a movie or a TV show because it, it gives me hope. You know that that what what we're making, whether it's a movie or whatever, can can actually connect and be somebody's real laugh, like a belly laugh. Oh, it so can. I mean, I mean, I think that's why it's it, I. It's always fun to talk to comedians, and I would love listening when you were doing the the Jim Jeffries one because I think he's hilarious too. Oh yeah, he's and, great. Oh, it's you know. That's why I wish your show was still on. I wish his show was still on. Yeah, we have that in common. I, I like his show as well very much. He has something metal going on, meaning 
I remember being at the improv and it was the oldest crowd. And I probably told him the story, so you probably already heard it. But everybody was sort of like, if you went dirty or, or raunchy, like you could just feel them pulling away. I went up and do what I do. What I do is pretty, pretty uh, non-offensive. And then Jim went up. He hadn't even been watching the show, which is strange. So he's this yeah. like outside energy. He went right on. And he just started talking about, it doesn't matter what it was, but it might as well have been like drowning kittens. It, it could have been just yeah. like the most, and it was the first thing he said. And there was something unrelenting about his energy. He wasn't faking it. He wasn't just trying to be yeah. shocking. He just was being him. And oh my God, all of a sudden we're dropped into some weird bar <laughs> and the insane guy at the end of the bar just started talking but you can't look away. And I was just like, I've just never seen people who do shock comedy. And there's some people in, that come to mind that are doing it because they want to do it or they think it's funny. It's different from a guy like him. That's just like, this is who I am. And then and he just does it. And you and you get to just. That accent goes a long way. To the that. accent helps a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that accent smooths over too. Oh my God. It absolutely does. Did you ever see George Carlin live? And I didn't. I did. My dad went and saw him actually. Last time I, I saw, I saw him last time it was right before he. It was pretty close to before he died, and he was in Vegas. He walks out on stage, you know, at some hotel, and it's all nice. He comes out. First thing he says is, he just goes, "You know, nobody talks about pussy farts enough anymore." <laughs> the first thing out of his mouth. He didn't see. Whoa! He just started with that, and it just kept going. He just didn't stop. And you could just feel the whole audience is like they were just breath and then they were just in. Yes, you can't fake it. And I saw Brian Regan, who's very clean, destroy just as hard. And he didn't say thank you. He didn't say hello. He said, I tried to build a grill recently. It was easy. It was like building a rocket and everyone <laughs> died. And he didn't stop killing from the word rocket. It's how he said it. Those people, and Brian is being who Brian is. Yeah. And George is being who George is. And the audience, I feel like they can smell it. Like on a pheromone level, they're like, he's showing it. He's doing him. It's yeah, awesome. this is a weird connection that you can just, I mean, it's hard to explain. Like you can do the same show every night, you know, and then some nights are just special. And you yeah. get that weird thing where it just clicks with the audience and, you know, sometimes you come off stage and you're like, that was the best show we ever played. And someone else might go like, I don't know, seemed like same as always. And you're like, no, it was different. And other nights you come off stage and somebody's like, that was amazing. You're like, that was lame. Yeah. But you just feel it. Some nights it just clicks crazy and sometimes it doesn't. That's Val. Uh, Val will come see me at Largo and she's like, that was the best thing ever. And, and sometimes I'll be like, I didn't like that at all. <laughs> I felt I was chasing them the whole show. Where were they? And she was like, are you insane? Yeah. She's helped me learn the some of that perspective. It's like, no, they're laughing because they like it. You think they should be laughing more, but it's a miracle. They're laughing. You said something about laughing. I don't know what we're thinking. Yeah, my wife will go like, the crowd was so loud. I couldn't even hear you guys. Wow. Like, really? I couldn't even hear the crowd. <laughs> That's when it starts like, well, you need to hear check then. <laughs> it's just it's all in our own crate it's that's one thing i have learned over the years is like used to be if something went wrong on stage i'd freak out like you know oh the the guitar cut out or this broke or that fell and now it's like nobody noticed yeah 
and do the whole you could play the whole show without the PA and everybody going, that was awesome. You know? Yeah. Good choice. <laughs> That's what Conan told me when I did a talk show. He's like, you're going to think you you're yeah. going to be in The New York Times and you're not. You think you're going to be can- like not canceled like that, but like ruined. And you're not. It's it, just keep doing the work. Just keep doing the work. Yeah, I remember. Like, I really loved Steve. Bar- Steve Martin was the first concert I ever saw as a kid. Oh, I'm jealous. Touring for Wild and Crazy Guy record. It was amazing. And I would always, every time he was on TV, at a point, I remember him being on the Tonight Show, and he said something like, "You think the first time you're on, it's going to change your life, and no one notices, and it's not till like you're on the Tonight Show for like the eighth time that someone goes like, didn't I see you on Johnny Carson last night? Yeah, yeah, yeah like." And that's what you kind of figure out after a while. It just takes so much that before anyone can even slightly realizes you're alive. But that <laughs> sort of hazing process, I think, filters out some of the um, imitators. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if, if Steve Martin had been on The Tonight Show once, he didn't get all the glory, he might have quit or he might have gone another route. But well, that, think, that's just a guy that likes jokes. I always think um, – did I just – no, I said this to someone else yesterday. I was like, did I just say this to you? I was sitting here yesterday doing interviews. So I'm like, am I repeating myself? <laughs> um, it's like if someone comes up and asks you for advice, to me, I immediately hear, you're asking me for a shortcut. Yeah. And my advice is quit. Mm. Because, well, you know, when we're doing it, there's no advice. Mm. Uh, what's the advice? Be funny? Yeah. You know? Do it as much as you can. The other can. guy who's on before you, you know? Yeah. There is no shortcut. Yeah. Daniel Tosh has a great bit about that where someone says, I want to do what you do. And he goes, you want to be a famous comedian? It's never going to happen. <laughs> and either that's going to be a story that person tells when they're a famous comedian because it's it's just in them. They, they're they not going to take Daniel Tosh's advice and live or die by it. I just don't think people do that. I think the people like that become things just do it. Mm. And they mm-hmm. kind of just – they don't go around asking for advice or – trying to network. I don't know. That's been my experience. I just gave someone the note. I was like, never say network, never say yeah. network, never yeah. say network. Yeah. It, I it's- just think that people, sometimes you'll meet somebody and they're kind of quiet and they don't say much and you, and they'll go and you get a little more information. I'm like, this guy, this guy could be dangerous. Yeah. You, you've got that about him and he's just going to, you know, he'll do something. Did you ever go to daddy's junkie music in Boston? Oh my God. Did I? I just said, uh, I'm, I'm just trying. I don't remember if I ever went there. I mean, I know the name. I'm just thinking back to when I first heard you was on AAF Kid, WAF, and they would uh, play you guys all the time. And am I right that they, you sampled like a woman having an orgasm? Isn't that one of your songs? Yeah, that's probably a lot of our songs. <laughs> <laughs> well, there were two versions. There were versions that would play that. Oh, maybe there was a version they wouldn't play it. And then there was a radio version that didn't have it. Oh, and. Maybe. As you know from Crashing, the repressed sexuality, if they played the woman orgasm version, I was just like, windows up, volume up. I was just like getting... <laughs> we don't need the beat. Just stick with this part. Yeah, I was like, that is that was the uh, first I had heard anything like that. I haven't heard it since, to be honest. I'm just tripping on like that that was where teenage Pete heard you. And now, and now we're having a lovely, <laughs> lovely chat. Well, I feel good, man. Do you feel good? Yeah. I love talking. I like long interviews that it, when it's 90 minutes, I did one the other day with a, you know, Brian Posehn interviewed me for something. Sure. 90 minutes. It felt like three seconds. I mean, I know Brian for a long time, but. Oh, sure. 
Well, he's the metal comedian. <laughs> I like yeah. Brian a lot. Yeah, Brian's <laughs> Brian's funny, yeah. Yeah. Well, if there's anything that we didn't cover, uh, I think we did a lot. Well, we've solved the mysteries of the universe, <laughs> eating habits, why you shouldn't go into show business. Really, we just don't want the competition as well. <laughs> That's the big secret. Yeah, yeah discourage That's people. the other thing, too, I secretly think when people ask me, like, you think I fucking killed myself all these years and figured out I'm telling you right now for free? Really, <laughs> <laughs> just... <laughs> I love it. Well, I feel great too, man. This was an incredible chat. I'm so grateful for your time. It, it, Thanks for having me on. It was fun. It was super fun, man. Now that we're we're through it, I'll, I'll be like, I was charged by it. Like I said, listening to your record and we haven't met and I didn't watch any interviews with you. I'm sort of like, how's this going to go? What if this is the one time where the, <laughs> where the guest is like, irate and hates me and it's just such a relief answer yes oh my god when i interviewed rivers cuomo from weezer um his publicist was like um he likes to pause sometimes for two to three minutes before answering and he only uh gives one word answers a lot and i was like oh fucking kill me he ended up being great oh that's good that reminds me when i was listening to your one with jim brooks yeah and I was like walking around, walking my dog, listening to it. He was a big pauser. He did pause. And he I liked kept a good pause. Thinking, I was like, God damn it. I lost the fucking signal again. Oh, no, he's back. He's yeah. back. <laughs> really thinking about the noodle salad thing. That's really, that was a great Jack story. Great Jack story. Uh-huh. Uh, it's so funny. I, I, Judd Apatow listens to the show and he, he wanted to, I sent him the audio of that. And I was like, I don't know if he liked it or how it went. And then he, Sometimes you need somebody from the outside to be like, that was great. <laughs> like, because Judd would tell me. Yeah. He would really be like, that wasn't right. And he pointed out all these times when he was joking and I took him seriously. That would happen every once in a while. Because I'd be like talking about taking a lot of takes. He has an, a reputation for doing a lot of takes. And he goes, I do three takes. That's, that's all I ever do. And I didn't know what to make of that. And Judd was like, he was kidding. That was a joke. <laughs> like, I didn't know. I thought he was serious. Yeah, me too. Because, you know, because I usually feel like by the third take, everybody's dialed in. And after that, you feel the energy start dying. So it's interesting. Well, I'm glad I'm not a moron. I'm glad you were also. No, he fooled me, too. (laughs) (laughs) What I loved about that interview, what I loved about the way you do podcasts is like you could have just talked about as good as it gets the whole time. Yeah. I love the detail of really discussing something. I hate talking in like catchphrases. Me too. I, I, I only wanted to talk about as good as it gets broadcast news and maybe Spanglish. I don't even think we got to Spanglish. No, but I don't know if I mentioned yet. Yeah. Those are my three favorites. So I, I really wanted to get into the minutiae. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was, it was good. I I, I'm glad. Minutia. There's a good uh, minutiae podcast on the TMC, uh, Turner Classic Movie one now with the Peter Bogdanovich interviewing Howard Hawks. Uh, just about, just about, just about stuff. He went, he interviewed <laughs> him when he was really young, and he's talking. I was talking about making El Dorado or something, right? Oh, now. interesting. Good. Somebody told me that there's like a seven-hour series just about the movie Mission Impossible Fallout. You mentioned T. Cruz earlier. And apparently you wouldn't think that would be that interesting. I know you, <laughs> your head drops. <laughs> but apparently a lot of Tom's uh, stuff was at the end of the day that shoot him last. You know, he's producing as well. Yeah. They're writing it on the fly. All these things you wouldn't have thought. And they would be like, we have 
10 minutes or we go into overtime, T. Cruz, bang it out. And that's the take in the movie. <laughs> and I, I'm just like, he really is a Superman in a lot of ways. I always find it funny. Like $200 million movie. The script's not finished. Well, we'll start shooting anyway. <laughs> that's right. That's what it is. And I'm pretty sure that's what they're doing with the new one. They, it's what Judd taught me that too, is you want to have a certain degree of controlled chaos. I would always be like, let's just finish all the scripts. And he would want us to go in just a little bit behind. So there would be like an urgency, like a pulse to it. Really? Hmm. Yeah. It was, I mean, we'd know to shoot the script would have it, but he'd, he'd, he'd want a little bit of juice in it. I, and that's one of the ways we did it. How many days would you spend on each episode? It was, that's a great question. I think it was two episodes over, boy, I, I could be so wrong. It's either four weeks or two weeks. That's a big difference. But yeah. it felt like uh, like two weeks an episode. How was it shooting in New York? Because that seems like it'd be a little bit of a nightmare. I mean, it looks fantastic, but I mean, just as a city to deal no, with. No, I know. The What that brings to mind is the first season we did the episode about me barking, handing out flyers. Yeah. And the director, Jeff, he, he was on Seinfeld and he was great. He said, oh, this is a season one episode. You won't be able to do this season three, you know, because everyone will know you and everybody will know the show. Cut to season three. We're still in the West Village. Nobody's bothering me. <laughs> <laughs> like people would bother you um, just because it was a TV show. Yeah. And people would – there was a homeless guy in the village that – would just yell fuck, fuck, fuck over and over until you paid him. Sometimes right. it'd be motorcycles that you'd have to pay. Sometimes it'd be parties you'd have to pay. So it was very chaotic, but yeah. you got very good at being still. Cause you know how the village is. It's, it's just like swarms and swarms and swarms and you get sort of super, probably like you on stage, all this insanity is happening, but you're just, just what can I control? I can say my lines. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But those aren't background actors. That's what I find interesting is some of them are background actors, but a lot of people walking through are not background actors. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting. I was wondering about that because like, you can tell sometimes you go back and watch like Taxi Driver. Sure. Like, he's on a long lens and, you know, Robert Jr. is just walking down the street and no one else. That's right. Totally uncontrolled. That's what they did in. Uh, did you watch the movie once? No. Uh, Glenn Hansard from The Frames. Uh, it's a great movie. It's, you know the song. The song won an Academy Award. It's take this broke uh, sinking boat and point it home. Anyway, it's not really your genre. <laughs> <laughs> um, although I'd love to hear it cover. That would be badass. Um, that's how they shot that. They shot it in Dublin. And they everybody in it is a real person. Yeah. And there are these long takes, long lenses. No one even knows they're in the movie. And because Glenn is sort of uh, is famous for being a musician when they shot it, not as famous as he is now, you can see if you watch carefully, some people recognize him. You can yeah. see faces in the crowd go like, oh, that's the guy from the frames. But it's in the movie because they were shooting it real run and gun, which I think is awesome. Yeah, I love stuff. You can see a lot of that in King of Comedy. Is that right? Yeah, like there's a lot of scenes with Robert De Niro. And, well, I think people are turning around looking at Jerry Lewis more. It's, it, which is indicative of the times. Yeah, sure. Have you ever see Jerry Lewis live? No. I got to see him once live, and it was amazing. Really? What's he going to do for two hours on stage? And I don't know. He did. That's what I that, – That's I know he ended up being a, a bad guy, but I saw Cosby and seeing him smoking a cigar and with my parents. Did and Jerry my parents – ended up being a bad guy? Was Who? Some, Jerry Lewis? Was there a – Oh, oh no. Oh, Cosby. Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby. The worst. Yeah, yeah, the worst. What a heartbreak. Uh, for yes, I won't go into that. We all know that sucks. 
I just um, like that. That what was it? The New York Post when they had a picture of him in handcuffs and said "cuffed Huxtable." <laughs> cuffed, cuffed Huxtable. <laughs> I Who think. is in their pun department? I don't know. They're good though. <laughs> <laughs> well. Thank you, Rob. I, I'll, I'll let you continue being the artist and the creator and the self-generator that you are. I really hope we get to meet in person one day. Yeah, when I get back to L.A., if things are normal, if I see where we are, I'll come down for sure. I would love that. Well, the Largo show is, is, is where it's at. That's, that's the best place. I haven't been there in a long time. It's so fun. Do you know Flanny? Flanny knows everybody. No, I don't know anybody. I usually would go to things like that because uh, my friend Chris Hardwick was performing or something. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, Chris. That's not a bad Chris Hardwick. Oh, <laughs> points. Um, well, would you, at the end of the episode, I think you know this, but the guest says the catchphrase, uh, it's fairly meaningless, but would you grace us with a keep it crispy? Would you say keep it crispy? Where did this originate from? This was because I, when I was starting the podcast, I was so manic. I couldn't get over the fact that saying keep it crispy was like the lamest thing and the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> I almost show, called the podcast Keep It Crispy. I'm so glad I didn't. But instead, I made it the catchphrase. Um, and it just it just means vibrant and alive. Just okay, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I have no problem. Keep it crispy. <laughs> I was just curious why we were keeping it crispy. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's, now it is like WAF. Will you say I'm Rob Zombie and you're listening? Right. To- <laughs> <laughs> I'm Rob Zombie, and you're listening to WAF, the only rock of Boston. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, great. Yeah. <laughs> they tell you to take some. You always taste the fucking rocks. I'm like, I don't even really don't want to say that. But I'll take you to Crispy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm honored. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, man. We should have said, ah, oh, man, keep it fucking crispy out there in fucking Revere. <laughs> oh, we can use that. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. So